This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino. And as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Hurricane Martinez. Gerard, before I officially bring you in, do you mind if I have the floor for like 30 seconds? Take the floor, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Excuse me. Let me uh, shuffle my papers here. Hold on. Cue the music. I make this statement under my own volition after many discussions with my agency and family. At 5.29 p.m. Pacific time on Sunday, March 5th, I, Chris 10K Trevino, posted on the Peristyle Fong Bong in reaction to 24-7 Sports Director of Recruiting Steve Wilfong putting in a crystal ball for the nation's number one 2024 prospect, Dylan Riola, after his unofficial visit to the Trojans. In my haste to post a Fong Bong, I did not realize that the first USC crystal ball was actually made by Blair Angulo, a fellow cilantro boy. While technically a Fong Bong, it is not a true Fong Bong, but in fact a Blair Flare or Blair Bomb. I am ashamed of my actions and transgressions and hope you can forgive me. I apologize to the fans, the Peristyle, my family, Gerard Martinez, God, my personal trainer, Saoirse Ronan, my money manager, Meredith Schlosser, my mentor Dan Tennis, and my grandparents. But most of all, I apologize to Blair. I let down a fellow cilantro boy. Lo siento. Thank you, and please respect my privacy at this time. I will not be taking questions. Gerard, any questions? I think we all feel better now. Yeah, I uh, I read that with tears in my eyes. I don't know if you could uh, you could hear it. I had a frog in my throat, but uh, I apologize from the bottom of my heart to uh, a friend of the show, Blair Angulo. I do have one question. Oh, yeah. God's your personal trainer. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I realize now saying that God, my personal trainer, yes, I, uh, I see how that is uh, interpreted as the, the Holy one being my personal trainer, but no, those are two separate ideas. God and my personal trainer, there are two separate entities, but I do like the visual of God being my personal trainer. All right, let's move on. Cold open. I'm just trying to uh, hurry hurry this one along for reasons I do not know, uh, even though it's because he is definitely going to be the one that makes this a three-hour show. But he says we don't have a lot to talk about. We do have a lot to talk about. You stripped it off. Now it's time to move on. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what this is. This this is like the third consecutive show where Gerard has tried to push the pace for us. I, I don't know who you're fooling, Gerard. I don't really know what's going on, but... You say we can push the pace, but it's not going to be a pace that will be quick. I I, acknowledge, I, I hope you acknowledge that and just accept who you are. Okay. okay. Moving on. Stop 
saying moving on. There are things to address at the top of this show. For one, it is National Composite Two-Star Day. I don't know why you're trying to gloss over this. This is the one-year anniversary of the start of our podcast. Literally one year ago, we published episode one of the Composite Two-Star Recruits. We're going to talk more about that at the end of the show as sort of a reflection. But, Gerard, I, I have to say I'm pretty happy but what happy by what we've accomplished in just one year. What have we accomplished in just one year? I think I I think that uh that long pause was not a great great sign. I I just I just you really held it there and it really kind of took the wind out of my sails so I was I'm gonna... thinking, what have we accomplished? I'm sure that we have given some of the fans some insight into the recruiting process. So I think that is a win. But it's not like we're really dealing with global economic policies, domestic policies. We're not impacting people's lives here. Hey, we're just here to do a podcast, to have some fun, and hopefully entertain while we give people some insight into the recruiting process and how it relates to the University of Southern California football team. So outside of that, I don't think we should try to pat ourselves on the back too much with accomplishments. I think it's a good thing that we've been consistent with the podcast as much as we can be. Obviously, there's been some weeks where we've had some scheduling conflicts or one of us has been sick, mostly just you being sick and calling in sick and not doing the podcast because you were sick that one week. But other than that, I think that we've done a good job being consistent with the the podcast, and we do have somewhat of a following, but we will not have that following if we continue to have scripted shtick that doesn't get to the meat of recruiting, and that's what the people want. So that's what I want to do. I want to push forward and get to the content and knock it out so we can have crystal balls in the future where we don't backstab our friends. (laughs) Gerard always pushing along this show even when I try to I try to even when I try to give us a moment he always has to bring it back to recruiting because this is what the show is about we do have a lot to talk about Gerard you were at a passing tournament I was on a passing tournament so we're going to talk about both of those things we had a stacked list of official visitors that came on campus for the first weekend of March dead period is done so we'll talk about those. We have some guys that are on campus mid-week uh, here. We have a new holy visit, holy hour visitor that we're going to talk about. We have a lot of spring football to talk about. Some new weights, some new positions, offensive line, Rajon Davis, Carson Tabarucci. We have a lot to talk about when it comes to spring football. We're going to talk a little bit about NFL draft, a couple scholarship offers, a recent decommitment in the 2024 class. No, nope, not a USC decommitment, but one that helps the Trojans. And then, like I said, we'll come back and end on talking about National Composite Two-Star Day. And we have one listener question. So we will have a short segment there at the end. But before we jump into all this, because it is National Composite Two-Star Day, we do have to remind you of who the official sponsor of the Composite Two-Star Recruits is. Yes, that is Meredith Schlosser. I mentioned her in my very public apology to Blair 
but the number one real estate agent in Los Angeles with over $600 million in sales and more than 200 five-star Zillow reviews. She's literally the real estate agency that I worked with to get the house I'm in now. So she represents Jeannie Buss and a one-star like me, Chris 10K Trevino. Meredith is backed by a full-service team that allows her to service a wide range of clientele for rentals, sales, and purchases. She has extensive experience with first-time home buyers and sellers. Most recently, Meredith was recognized by Wall Street Journal with the top 1.5% of agents in the nation. That is not Southern California. That is the nation. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And you can check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. Gerard, you have been pushing to jump into the cold open, so we're here. We're in the cold open. We went to two passing tournaments over the weekend, separated by maybe, oh, I don't know, 20 minutes, five miles. I don't know the distance between Tustin and Santa Ana. I'm not an Orange County boy. I do not know, but we were relatively in the same area. You were at the super passing tournament. I think that's a, a super seven passing tournament. Maybe that's the correct name. I don't know. That's kind of a lame name in my eyes. And I was at Battle at the Beach, which for the second consecutive year was not actually located near the beach. Not to be confused with Battle of the Beach, which is the high school passing tournament later in the summer. This is the Battle at the Beach passing tournament. And that was in Santa Ana at some intermediate school. I don't really know what an intermediate school is, but that's where I was also with five stars only, Jared Perez. He was my buddy for a very, very long day. I will be honest, because I think we're going to talk about my passing tournament first. We, I did not read the schedule very closely, and all the games that we that were relevant to us were actually very, very late in the day. The first games that we were really starting to record were not until eight o'clock at night, and we got there at like one o'clock because the high school, the high school sessions were starting at two o'clock, so we got there a little bit early, but it ended up being six hours too early so we were just hanging out talking to coaches just looking at teams we wouldn't necessarily look at if we had you know some prospects we were looking at other teams so it was very cold very windy we had the best chicken nuggets we've ever had in our life at a food truck out there so it was a very interesting day for me and five stars only at the battle at the beach battle not at the beach but nevertheless the second year that we've had battle at the beach and last year was out in the Valley. So I was glad to hear that it was going to be a little more local in terms of the drive in Santa Ana. But then lo and behold, Chris passing tournament, passing league, they get excited. Everybody wants to have it on the same weekend. So we had to split duties. I had to be in Tustin for super seven and you knew we're going to be at battle of the beach. So I was in Tustin hanging out with Chris Hawkins, Sue Cravens, who help run the Trillium Boys these days. Trillium Boys didn't have their national team, really kind of a local team. Only guy that they had on their team that really currently has a scholarship offer from the University of Southern California is Chatsworth wide receiver Xavier Jordan. And uh, Xavier actually had a funeral that he had to be at Saturday, so he missed Saturday and was actually only there for Sunday, which – the Trillium boys ended up losing their first game and it was single elimination. So we only got one game with him where he had, I think, you know, maybe five, six catches, uh, but didn't really get to see a whole lot from him. We did talk to him afterwards, but from a player valuation standpoint, everybody was there to, to, to see FSP. The team from Washington uh, has been a team that 
you know, there've been some California guys that have played for them in the past and what have you. And a lot of these seven on teams. Now the trend is for them to go to national tournaments and basically like AAU pluck guys from all over the country. So you'll see some guys on trillion boys that are from Georgia, from Texas. You'll see some guys uh, for the fast Houston team from California. And so with this particular tournament, it was really just a Washington team for SSP and their top team is their blue chip team. And then their younger team is their five-star team, which is a little bit confusing because technically you don't get a fifth star until you're going into your junior year. And all those guys on the five-star team are, are freshmen and sophomores. So uh, really kind of focusing in on the blue chip team, the two big recruits that USC is recruiting that is on that squad is Braden Platt, the linebacker at a Yelm, Washington, a four-star. Um, he also plays running back quite a bit for his high school football team, but every team that's recruiting him from a college standpoint projects him to play linebacker and Seattle all day, four-star running back. He was actually a five-star uh, for a while. I think now uh, he's down to a four-star with 24 seven sports. He's Jason Brown and uh, about five, 980 pounds, uh, a small back, a, a diminutive running back, but not necessarily a guy that you look at as a all purpose uh, maybe just a third down back. He's actually put together pretty well and probably a little more of a combo back when push comes to sub to, to shove, despite his diminutive size. Um, I think we got him listed at 5'10", and that's definitely very, very they're, – they're giving him some inches there. They're giving <laughs> him some inches. Are, are we saying like a, a Relique Brown sized? Yeah, yeah. We're saying that he's probably closer to 5'8", 5'9", uh, you know, in, in cleats maybe even. So he, he's a smaller back, but he is, in terms of his running style, more of a every-down back than he is an all-purpose back, which is interesting because my immediate comparison to him at this point was Nate Frazier. Having watched Nate Frazier a little mm. earlier in the offseason for premium, playing at the passing down in Fontana, you know, having seen Nate go from being really a wide receiver cornerback when he was a freshman, sophomore uh, at St. Pius Matthias over in Downey and then transferring over to modern day and watching him play running back more at modern day. He's, you know, a good 5'10", uh, probably 195 pounds, 200 pounds, put on some really good weight. And we watched him split time uh, with Jordan Davidson, the sophomore running back at modern day last year. And Jordan Davidson's kind of the every down back for them, obviously a little bigger, you know, he's about 5'10", 5'11", 215 pounds, but, you know, Frazier's got a little something to him and he's running a 10-7 in track. He's obviously got those receiver skills because that's the position he really grew up playing. And now he's getting used to the running back position, acclimating to the physicality of playing running back. So when I see a smaller running back and we're looking at this through the guys that USC gets that crystal ball for Brian Jackson, the McKinney uh, athlete that's really looking and projecting as a running back, six foot, 235 pounds, somebody that you saw in person in an unofficial visit last year at the Coliseum, and you thought he actually frame-wise was a little bit bigger than Sam Green. So that's saying something. You know, Sam Green's an interior defensive lineman, or at least that's what he was projected as. And we'll get into talking a little bit about spring ball and some of the newcomers and just eyeballing them. But obviously, Brian Jackson's a big boy. So you're looking at the sort of thunder lightning if USC brings in two running backs for uh, this cycle. And so all those guys that are sort of the lightning backs, Jason Brown, Nate Frazier, et cetera, you're kind of pitting them against each other. And I think from an evaluation standpoint, I really do like Nate Frazier. I like that he's a local kid. 
grew up loving USC. He's at modern day. Yes, I know he doesn't have the carries. I know he doesn't have the production right now at that level. But I also take into account the fact that he's only started to play running back. Whereas Jason Brown, certainly a very good player. But I don't know, man. I don't know if you're going up there and you're fighting all these other schools up there in the Northwest uh, for Jason Brown, if that's really going to work out. Now, you know, we have to also look at Braden Platt, the linebacker, uh, who I think, you know, in that sort of seven-on-seven environment, a little bit of a fish out of water. You know, he's a good 6'1", 235 pounds. You know, on film you see him as a real downhill type linebacker. Um, maybe not a three-down linebacker, as they say. Uh, I know that uh, when Cameron Smith was coming out of high school, the big thing for him was to prove that he could be a three-down linebacker, which is to say that on third down, you might end up in a third and 10. You might end up in a third and 12. Does that guy come off the field because you want to bring in somebody who's a little more athletic, a little better covering space? And interestingly enough, FSP actually took Braden Platt off the field a lot in this tournament and brought in some guys that were more of a safety-type player. Now, that's seven-on-seven. I will say this. Well, Platt is definitely not a guy that you want isoed up, um, you know, on a real athletic tight end or playing over the slot uh, against a, a running back, a guy like Jason Brown, a guy like Nate Frazier. He actually surprised me a bit. He physically, when you look at him off the huff, he looked a little stiff, a little like a guy that's, you know, one of the best javelin shot put throwers in the nation. But he actually moves pretty well. He's fast, had a lot of energy. Um, he had a great pick, which we got on film, where he was ISOed up and ended up on, I think, the running back pretty much, I mean, 20 yards, 25 yards downfield, and he went up for the ball and basically 50-50 ball brought it down. So athletically, I was pretty impressed with Braden Platt. So that was sort of the FSP team. There was one other player there that was a guy that we really looked forward to evaluating, and that was Peyton Waters, who was supposed to play for the Proway Dream Life team. He ended up didn't make it. He was actually at USC Saturday for an unofficial visit. And then that whole team came to the tournament later. Well, Peyton Waters was still on campus at USC for that unofficial visit. He ended up not making uh, the tournament at all. So we didn't get to see him. Uh, we will be talking to him a little later after he takes another unofficial visit to USC this weekend. So that's a guy that um, I know USC likes as a defensive back. Talked a little bit to his seminar coach. And his seminar seven coach thinks he's a guy that could legitimately play wide receiver in college, but it seems right now that all of the colleges that are recruiting him like him as a defensive back. He's about 6'2", 6'3", about 180 pounds, and uh, has really good range. And it seems like he's probably going to be maybe a big corner, potentially one of those guys that you kind of could put in the slot, maybe more of a nickel corner uh, or potentially just a safety down the road. So another guy to kind of keep an eye out for. Um, in terms of player interviews and the recruiting process and how it's going, for all these different players. Uh, one guy that didn't perform, but was down here uh, with the TMP team, the TMP elite team, which is a, a Sacramento sort of Bay area type team. They didn't have too many guys at USC has been seriously recruiting as of late, uh, but they did come down with Jericho Johnson. Who's the big defensive tackle, 6'4", 300 pounds from Fairfield, California. Parastyle favorite, Gerard. A parastyle favorite, a guy that's already been earmarked as a must have by the parastyle. <laughs> And I got to tell you, first and foremost, you know, with all these interviews, you know, I've been doing this enough that there's little things and little mannerisms and there's little key words that kind of pop up in interviews where you're trying to get a gauge for, you know, is this a USC type guy? Is this a player prospect that 
aligns with some of the other players that they signed in the past. And I will say Jericho Johnson definitely fits that mold. He really likes Sean Nua. He really enjoyed his time down in Southern California. And he's going to be a guy that's a West Coast recruit. I don't foresee him being real big into the Georgia Alabamas. Now, he hasn't had a lot of exposure to the South or the Midwest, but he describes himself sort of as a laid back Cali kind of guy. And so USC made sure that that he felt like a priority when he down, went down there for an official visit. He wants to be back on campus again. He probably will be back on campus again uh, shortly. Uh, but he's one of those guys that um, certainly when you're talking about need positions, interior defensive line, getting some guys that are in that 300-pound range. You know, Jericho Johnson's got to be at the top of the list that's local. And certainly getting him on campus was a big deal. It's going to be Washington and Oregon, you know, perhaps Ohio State or some other out-of-state school slips in there and could give him more to think about leaving home. But it definitely seems like right now he'd be satisfied with staying on the West Coast and going to one of those schools. So we'll see how his recruitment uh, progresses. With Braden Platt, he actually didn't make the unofficial visit to USC. FSB was supposed to go down there Monday. He had some track conflict with his schedule. He thought they were going to be there Sunday, so he ended up having to fly back home. So he actually didn't unofficially mm -hmm. visit USC. He says he wants to visit still. I didn't get the vibe that USC was a big player for him at the moment. Very little conversation, communication with the coaching staff outside the scholarship offer he had. Um, so I think, you know, not being one of those players that watches a lot of football and you know, Chris and I, we've talked about this with guys like David Bailey. And, you know, some of the fans just it's hard for them to believe that these guys can play football and not really watch football. But Braden Plate was one of those kids that just said, you know what, I don't really know USC outside of, you know, what they did last year. And I think most of what they did last year was word of mouth for him. So he doesn't have a lot of reference for the tradition of USC or anything of that nature. So, uh, again, I, I didn't get like the warm and fuzzies from him talking about USC the way you got the vibe like Jericho Johnson was very serious about USC. Same with Jason Brown. I think USC is just a bunch of schools. I mean, initially, I think he put out a top 10, top 11, and USC wasn't even in it. He was supposed to go and unofficially visit USC, get a tour of the cinematography, the cinematography school uh, with Lincoln Riley, and he's very interested in, in directing and sort of a lot of stuff that has to do with movies. Uh, we haven't been able to get with him and talk with him about that visit. I know he did make it. Um, but um, he just hasn't been able to uh, to, to really talk about much uh, when it regards to USC and, and sort of the, the the specific things that are unique to USC and why he would be interested in USC. And again, USC has not had, you know, going beyond just the Lincoln Riley years, a whole lot of success recruiting that area. Now, Jason Brown does go to O'Day High School, and we know that, you know, Taylor Mays is an O'Day um, alumni, and uh, I'm sure, you know, there'll be a, a little bit of um, – you know, communication there and, and, and trying to, you know, recruit him and say, Hey, listen, you know, I, I, I came from Seattle and um, you know, this is, this is how my career went. And this is why I liked USC and why I picked USC, but Jason Brown's kind of going through the process, got a lot of big schools after him. And like I said before, I didn't necessarily feel like USC was a school that was standing out to him uh, necessarily. So in terms of the super seven tournament, that was sort of um, the, the, the important part. That was the, the meat off the bone terms of the players that USC is recruiting and serious about got some more um you know tidbits and things like that uh chatting with them I actually ran into Johnny Johnson who is a former Fresno cornerback that went to UCLA he was recruited by USC out of high school and his brother was actually there Jalen Johnson who plays in the NFL now 
who uh, ended up going to Utah, and we had some laughs about uh, USC recruiting him. And uh, Ronnie Bradford was the lead recruiter, and I kind of joked with Jalen and said, uh, "I said, you know, Jalen, I got to tell you, man, out, out of all the guys that uh, that Ronnie Bradford recruited for USC in that time period." You were the only kid that ever mentioned him by name. Every other defensive back that he recruited used to just say, uh, the defensive back from USC, the, the DB coach. Yeah, I talked to the DB coach. And I said, it seemed like you guys had a really good relationship. And he said, yeah, I, I like Ronnie Bradford. I liked him. And um, at the end of the day, he still ended up going to Utah. So it was very strange. But we laughed about a few things, some off-record stuff that I don't want to mention. But uh, yeah, that was um, a dark period uh, for USC recruiting. Let's just say that. A couple of follow-ups there. Jalen Johnson, the one that they were afraid of because of the knee or the leg? No, his shoulder. So his shoulder. brother hurt his shoulder at UCLA and had a lot of issues trying to trying to stay on the field because of that shoulder injury. And then Jalen turned around and hurt his shoulder. And that definitely caused some concern, I think, for USC According to Jalen, though, they, they continued to recruit him. They liked him, but they weren't playing the freshman earlier in the year, and he was eyeballing Jack-Jack. And so uh, Jack Jones was uh, just a freshman at USC, and early in the season, he was basically just playing special teams. And Jalen was like, well, if he's playing special teams, why don't they give him a little bit of run playing defensive back, playing cornerback? And he didn't play cornerback until really the end of the year. I mean, he ended up, I think, as a freshman playing in that bowl game against Penn State. But previous to that, he wasn't getting a lot of playing time. And Jalen felt like, you know, Utah was going to play him earlier and that USC wasn't really being on the level in terms of playing freshman early. There was a lot of talk that Clancy Pendergast uh, really liked uh, seniors and, and they really wanted to play the veterans and they trusted the veterans more and they weren't just going to throw out um, the freshman early. So that was the main reasoning from his perspective. But I know behind the scenes with USC at that point, there was a lot of concern about that shoulder uh, surgery that he had because his brother had gone through that. Second follow-up out of my three follow-ups, uh, Braden Platt, you think Mike linebacker? Mike linebacker, certainly uh, a smart kid. Like I said, a very good athlete. I mean, he's one of the top two-way uh, sport athletes uh, in high school right now. I mean, he is nationally, I think, maybe the number one javelin thrower uh, in the country at the high school level. So this is a guy that um, certainly has the athleticism, uh, definitely a Mike linebacker, definitely a bit more old school, kind of north and south, but did surprise me a bit seeing him move and seeing his speed in the open field uh, playing seven on tournaments. And then my final one, uh, Gerard, Jericho Johnson listed 6'4", 300. We need your impressions of him physically. You first saw him up close. You're the first person yeah. to see him. Yeah, probably, I mean, you know, probably 6'2", 6'3", um, not the full six four, but you kind of expect that. High school lists and weights are always what two inches and ten pounds is usually what they give you. And so, yeah, he falls into there. He, he's he's not an enormous kid. He's not huge. Um, I wouldn't say that he's really a whole lot bigger than Dejan Lafitte. I think you know, kind of a similar size. I think Dejan maybe a little better put together. Uh, actually, I mean, a little bit more athletically built. I would say. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, a, a big enough kid, and and certainly. I think disposition-wise would would fit USC very well. You know, very well-spoken, very engaging, uh, very smart kid. And, um, you know, obviously, unfortunately, we didn't get to see him play a little tight end. I, mm-hmm. I kind of joke with him. I'm like, dude, you know, I kind of wanted to see you, you go out there and run around a little bit. But uh, he didn't do anything uh, for uh, TMP that, that, that weekend. 
Okay, well, I guess that you've wrapped up Super 7. I guess it's time for me to kind of dive into Battle at the Beach and my experiences there with uh, Five Star. It's only Jared Perez, but yeah, there was a, a handful of guys on 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 hand w- across their respective teams. The most interesting kind of guys came all the way from Oklahoma or Texacoma, I, I believe that's how they say, you know, that that the border of Texas and Oklahoma. This was a C4 team, and they were kind of a, a mix of kids from Texas and Oklahoma. A couple of those guys went up to USC. Uh, Exadavian Sims, who was a, a four-star prospect, number one defensive lineman in out of Oklahoma. Uh, Kenyon Kelly, a, a, a four-star safety out of that region as well. And then 2025, a uh, running back, Caden Knighton, who actually picked up the offer from the Trojans while on the visit. So they were able to get one offer out of that visit. Sims and Kelly did not pick up offers, but Sims is expected to come back on another visit. I'll give a little more on him, but Brandon Lockhart, you know, he is a 2026 quarterback cornerback out of Loyola. He was playing with the premium team. He is their, you know, future stud. This was a very young premium team. They're, they're kind of a one team, a lot of 2025, 2026 guys, uh, uh, Jamarion, Jamarion uh, Baker out of Los Al, they call him Tron. He's on that team, but he did not play. He still got a shoulder injury from the end of the season. He's still working through that. So, but a lot of young guys on that team, a lot of a lot of babies on that team, and we'll see them grow up. But Brandon Lockhart definitely looks the part. Long, six foot two. He went to USC on Saturday before the tournament. Got to talk to him about that. Madden Faramio. Help me Fariamo. out. Fariamo. Fariamo. Yeah. He, I know you You spoke about him. We, we spoke about him on this podcast a little bit a couple weeks ago when you were at your seven-on-seven event, your first one, and you were impressed with him physically just developing. And I'm the same way. I got to see him for the first time up close. And, yeah, he looks like a dude. I wasn't following. Uh, he was playing for Team Makasi Gold. I was not following them, but I would I would peek over and just get a glimpse of him. Yeah. Big time linebacker looks like a like a five star and a future stud. Just got to keep developing. Uh, Davon Mitchell, the the number one tight end in the 2025 class, transferred out of Allen, Texas, to Los Alamitos. He was there playing for the Team Toa team, and yeah, he looks like he looks the part. He looks like a big time weapon athlete. I, I was near him when Greg Biggins was uh, interviewing him. Has that Texas draw. Just looks like a, in addition to being a big body, just has the athletic skills to back that up. So got to see a little bit of him. And then this was someone who did it. I didn't know about going to the tournament. Just someone to stash that name in the back of your head. Dejon Doss. Uh, you're saying who? Yeah, six foot two, 190 pound safety, uh, three star prospect in the 2024 rankings out of Lancaster, California. I forget what what team he was playing for, but most of those kids were out of. Antelope Valley, that Lancaster area, and Dejon Doss looked like a dude. You know, like I said, six foot two, really physically built already. You could see leg muscles, upper body. He just, he just. You, if you line them all up, you're looking at him like, okay, that's that's the guy on the team. Has a couple of offers so far: uh, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, Nevada, San Diego State, Colorado State. Washington State is offered. So got some Pac-12. I, I expect that list to grow as the summer goes on. But, you know, he, he is an interesting guy. I mean, I'm not saying USC is going to offer him, but I'm just saying keep that 
that that name in the back of your mind, Dejan Doss. So he was the guy who stood out to me uh, out there on the field. Now, the segue from Jericho Johnson not actually playing any tight end or doing some stuff as a big man on the seven-on circuit, you did get to see Zadavian Sims work out a little bit as a tight end. How, how did he look athletically for being a guy that's, I think he's listed at like 6'3", 295, 6'4", 295? Yeah, he's listed at a 6'3", 275. Now, I'm going to be honest, you, you, like what you said with Jericho Johnson, you know, I think he was a little bit shorter than that listed weight, maybe more 6'2", than 6'3". Was he 275? Uh, I don't know, maybe 265. But he was physically built, and he's a lot bigger up close. Right now, if you dropped him on a the USC roster, you probably have him at edge. Uh, but definitely could add more size to his body, um, or excuse me, more more weight to his frame. But yeah, he he did not. He looked like he belonged out there in the first game. He actually led them in receiving yards. I don't know why, but the other team just like wasn't covering him. I don't know if they respected him, <laughs> but he was just he had literally one drive. I think he made like three of the four catches, and they were the coaches were getting so frustrated on the other side because they weren't covering him for whatever reason. They just weren't doing it. So. He, he actually had some hands. He had some moves. He actually plays tight end for his team out of Durant High School. And he said he's actually going to play more offensive tackle this year on the offensive side of the ball. So this might be his final hurrah playing tight end. Uh, but I was joking about him, you know, playing about playing tight end and kind of showcasing that ability. He wasn't a bad tight end. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. But his future is on the, the D-line. Uh, he did not get the offer when he went out to, to USC, uh, when he went out there for a visit. But he is planning on coming back. They want to get him back. I, I feel like they're still just, you know, evaluating him. I, I feel like maybe they they saw him show up and he wasn't as tall as he as he was because he, he looks more stocky. Um, just just from what I saw, you know, it wasn't like a long six foot two or six foot three or what. So I think they're still evaluating him. I think they want to get him back on campus. He'll have a better shot to get the offer when he comes back. I think they want to get him back on campus with his family. Uh, I would assume maybe for that uh, that holy hour in April 8th. So he is expected to come back again. Now, the joke there would have been if he was dropped on USC's roster, he would have been 240. Zing! <laughs> zing. Yeah, well, I mean, save your weight zings until we talk about the weights, which is coming up. Uh, so th- there'll be plenty of that. But, yeah, you know, I, 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 thought, I thought he was still a good-looking player. I mean, I, I just thought he wasn't as – Big as I was expecting at 6'3", 275, like I said. But still, I think I think he's a good athlete. I think he could he could definitely put on 20 more pounds. You can kick him inside and make him a really good nose guard. You know, you don't need to be six foot five, six foot four to be a nose guard. You just need to be strong. And he did look significantly. He did look strong uh, out there. Yeah, that's um, you know something that we see where. You know, we talked about this um, when we went over the target list for 225 and looking at offensive linemen and guys that are 235 now as opposed to guys that are 325 now and looking at the NFL and who gets drafted and it's usually the guys that are 235 now that might be 6'5 coming out of high school sophomores as opposed to guys that are actually already 300 pounds. So, you know, that's not something that you necessarily worry too much about. It's more about the frame. You know, it's more about the length of arms, uh, hand size, and the growth potential that you have because you can gain that weight, certainly, and um, you want it to be good weight. So I don't think colleges are scared about about that. They're scared off by guys 
that are just a little bit sawed off and they've got short arms and you're not going to be able to really be able to put a lot of weight on them uh, Mm -hmm. and then maintain that athleticism that they have at their current weight. So yeah, with Jericho Johnson, I mean, like I said, not enormous guy, not one of those guys you're like, wow, this is a big dude. There are some guys that just frame wise, you know, you see the size of their heads, their shoulders, the, just the, the, the waist uh, length and, and everything you, you see the frame and you're really impressed by that. Um, not necessarily one of those guys that just kind of blows you away by the size that he is, but not significantly uh, smaller than he's listed at, you know, six, four, 300, not quite probably more like six, two and three quarters and, you know, maybe, you know, two ninety, um, but not too far off. Uh, whereas, you know, Azamian Sims, I actually thought Azamian Sims was more of a kind of ready-made built defensive tackle, but it sounds like even his list weight is a little bit of a, okay, 6'3", 275, you know, is that is that an end or is that a guy that's going to be kicked inside? Probably a guy that's going to be kicked inside, but now if you're talking about closer to, you know, 260 or what have you, then you start talking about athleticism. And that's, you know, something we'll talk about with the, the draft and the combine with current USC players a guy like Tui Tuli Polotu, you know, sort of, um, you know, being able to play two positions, but maybe not being set at one position and how that sort of scares teams. Yeah, I would say your 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 phrase of sawed off, I know you use that a couple times in this podcast or it, it, over the course of this uh, talking about prospect sawed off is a, I think that was a good uh, indicator or a good description of how I saw Sims, but I will say he was a really nice kid, really smart kid. Gave me some good quotes when I was talking to him. Really enjoyed his visit overall to USC and definitely really wants to come back. First time in California, and he really, really liked it. He could see why Lincoln did leave to come out here with the weather. And even though it was chilly, he he really liked uh, what he was experiencing weather-wise from California. I also got to talk to Lockhart, as I mentioned. You know, he had another really good – they recently offered him, uh, I want to say a couple months ago, maybe in January, but – he picked up that offer. His mom went to USC. Uh, she he told me he she really, really wants him to go to USC. So it's obviously a 2026, so lots of things are going to happen. But I would say USC is, an, is a really good position uh, for him, and he's definitely going to come back out again and actually get to watch a spring practice. Yeah, that's like uh, Philip Bell, the wide receiver that uh, went to Christian Brothers uh, up north in Sacramento and is transferred down to Mission Hills, Bishop Alamany. And his mom's a big USC fan. He said to me, you know, USC is a school where my mom wants me to go, which he's one of those kids that's already seen dozens of schools already. He's already taken unofficial visits to a bunch of SEC schools, a few of the schools in the Midwest. I think he's been up to Oregon a couple times. He's a big time recruit in the 2025 class. And so it's kind of interesting because I, if I recall, I think he also told me that he was kind of an Oklahoma fan as well. Like Oklahoma was like one of his favorite schools. And then USC is his mom's favorite school. And then you have Lincoln Riley, who was at Oklahoma now at USC. And it sort of was the synergy of a favorite school. So he's a guy that a lot of people are, are, are talking up. And I mean, he already has a bunch of scholarship offers. And so him being a little more local uh, for USC, getting him on campus more often is going to be big for them. And to follow up on Madden Ferriamo, we had a funny conversation I think we talked about this a little bit last week where we talked about his brother and his cousin uh, both having gone to USC. His brother was Vincent played volleyball for USC and uh, his cousin Salo is, is the one who played football. And I kind of got them confused because he said his brother went to USC and I was thinking about Salo, you know, back in the day. And so I was like writing the story and I, I had to DM him and I said, you know, I, 
I, w- I was confused here because I think you're talking about Vincent being your brother, but I wanted to make 100% sure. So he was just kind of laughing. He's like, I'm, I'm surprised you remember that uh, Solo actually <laughs> UFC. And I was like, yeah, no, I mean, I'm U- USC football. Like, He's I'm talking to really Hurricane gonna- Martinez. Of course he knows. Not, not you know, volleyball. I don't cover volleyball. So I'm, I'm much more familiar with Solo and remember him being recruited back in the day by Pete Carroll. And uh, so we had a laugh at that. But, you know, he does have his sister that uh, big time pitcher at UCLA. So she's kind of pulling him that way. But another guy that, you know, like Jericho Johnson, you get the vibe. He wants to be a West Coast guy first. And this is, you know, where USC wins. There's a lot of kids that want to go to USC because USC is that local choice. And they did not have a viable local choice for the past really five, six years. It's, you know, I kind of have to look outside the state of California because UCLA is terrible. USC is terrible. I mean, where am I going to go? I'll go to Oregon. That's the only really school that I can choose that I'm somewhat staying close to home. Or I got to go cross country to Ohio State or, or Alabama or Miami or wherever. And we saw this in the late 90s, early 2000s. You know, people think that this is some kind of new trend that's happening with local recruits. Kids from California have a lot of family and other states. They've moved here. And so that's going to keep them open to looking at schools across the country. But the fact is when the local schools are not locking it down and winning on the field, they've left before, you know, you've had your Lorenzo Bookers, you've had your DJ Williams, you've had your Chris Rixes, you've had plenty of those players that did not end up local. And so if USC wins, they will begin to to lock down the majority of the kids here. And you do have to remember the big difference between this run that USC is trying to make now and the run that Pete Carroll made is that a you've got social media, you've got you know the the process is more open from an exposure standpoint with the SEC and the Big Ten and coming in here with the Pac-12 having been so bad, and also USC has not won for a while now. They've been irrelevant for a while now, so they're trying to put USC back on the map. And a lot of these kids that are in the 2025, 2024, 2026 class, all they know of USC is pretty mediocre football and not developing guys for the NFL draft. So you've got to kind of make up some ground with some of these guys. You see how unimpressed they are with USC as a whole. And there's still a lot of convincing that has to be done. Gerard, unless you have any follow-up questions for me for battle at the beach, I think we're going to move on to some visitors. Yeah, let's move on. Okay. So like I mentioned, the first weekend of March came and went and USC Support staff, coaches, they hit the ground hard for the first weekend, the first, the opening of spring camp, because spring camps began on Sunday. So they had kids come in on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Big visitor group, you know, it started slowly building. Now, I will say there was a lot of kids on campus because there was a bunch of seven on seven teams in town. So the school would host a bunch of kids, uh, not necessarily kids that are prospects for USC guys that don't have offers you know you bring everybody on the team uh, and then there's you know some wide receivers that are not going to get offered by USC there's some quarterbacks that are not going to get offered by USC so there was a bunch of guys but there's also some you know future like 2026 running backs 2026 defensive backs guys that don't have offers yet but definitely down the line could pick up an offer you know get that that foot in the door, you know, get their first meeting of the, the staff. So there was a lot of visitors like that. But there was also a bunch of guys that do have offers and are considered big-time prospects in their respective classes. So 
Obviously, the first the the headliner of this weekend was Dylan Rayola, the number one overall prospect in 2024. Picked up a couple of USC crystal balls as a result of this trip. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Dakota Fields, the local uh, Sarah defensive back. You know, USC has been pushing really hard along with Oregon. I almost said Oklahoma. Oregon. Oregon was considered the leader, but USC has really made a dent in their lead. And really, uh, to quote Dakota, when I talked to him last year at a game, you know, USC is making it hard for him to leave the state. So they're doing a good job there. Jericho Johnson, uh, as we mentioned, Christian Clark, the Mountain Port running back who has blown up this offseason. You know, he's got Alabama, got USC. He is quickly rising up the rankings. Uh, Ryan Pelham, the 2024 four-star receiver out of Milliken, USC offered from the previous staff but it it looks like usc now is picking it back up and they're they're showing their interest once again as i mentioned sims and kelly knight and they both offer brandon lockhart and then baker uh out of los alamitos also took a visit and then as you mentioned peyton waters also was on campus this week we uh past weekend so i guess the most important uh to talk about is who we talked about sort of uh, at the top of the podcast, Dillariola, the crystal balls came rolling in. Blair Angulo, he, he went out on the limb and he made the first crystal ball. And then Greg Biggins made a crystal ball. And now Steve Wolfong has made a crystal ball. So the momentum swinging back to USC after that unofficial visit. Now it's not like there's a bunch of 10 confidence, nine confidence crystal balls. You know, certainly the feeling is with those crystal balls at USC has become the favorite. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, do you, I mean, first of all, do you like remember when Dylan Raiola first took that visit and there was a lot of momentum for USC and then very quickly went to Ohio State, shut down his second upcoming uh, unofficial visit to USC and then committed to the Buckeyes? Do you remember how uh, everyone was freaking out at that time? Answering a question with a question. Touche. I'm, yes, I'm just, I'm just saying, it, I'm just <laughs> saying, recruiting is a long game, is what I'm saying, and we're back to yeah. uh, another point in this roller coaster that will be Dylan Rayola's recruitment, where USC now feels like they're back in the lead. Yeah, and I mean, the only thing that's changed with USC necessarily is the fact that you've got a year at USC with this you coaching staff, and you have a trophy, mm-hmm. another trophy to show. So at this point, USC has done everything that they can do. There's really not a lot more that they can put forth. If Darren Riola goes to Nebraska and there's all of a sudden less confidence that USC is the leader, or he goes to Georgia because Georgia is another school that's been recruiting him and there's been a little bit of buzz about Georgia lately, you kind of say, listen, hey, (laughs) everything you can do, you've done, and at this point, You know, he just doesn't want to go to USC. So we'll see going forward with his other visits how things shake out. And um, to this point, you know, we haven't heard anything about him canceling any other trips to go anywhere else. We know that he wants to go back to to, to Georgia. Um, There's been some other schools that have kind of popped up and he's talked about a little bit. I think LSU was mentioned there. Oregon is another school that's gotten mentioned. He's been to USC and Nebraska at this point since his decommitment, and those are the only schools that he's seen in person to this point. So, you know, it sort of went, okay, Nebraska hires uh, Matt Rule, and, and obviously that's a, a big 
a big get for them, a big hire for them. Uh, they were really happy with that. So, you know, there's a lot of enthusiasm and optimism around the program. Clearly, you know, with his father having gone there, he has an uncle on the coaching staff. You know, there's a lot of, uh, of good, I think, comfort feeling like that's a place where, you know, he would be taken care of and, and looked after. And that's goes a long ways with a lot of these recruits. I mean, mm -hmm. how many guys do we talk to that talk about comfortability or try to explain that level of going to a school and feeling comfortable with the coaching staff and with the student body, with the players. And that's kind of usually within the top three for almost every kid we talk to. It's NFL development, feeling comfortable at that school, having that vibe. And then there's usually something else in there. They'll throw academics in there. Uh, they'll put in there, you know, maybe something more unique uh, about the academic program and what they're looking for. But clearly, for most guys, NFL development and feeling comfortable at the school with the coaching staff, those are the top two factors in their recruitment. Yeah, they, they I, I've heard it explained as like finding that second home, you know, finding that comfortability and just feeling like you can be, you know, you're leaving wherever you're from, your parents, your friends, your coaches, wherever, if you're from, you know, Arizona or you're from Washington, and then just being able to have that same kind of comfort at a place you're, you're not used to. And that, and that becomes the, your home. Now those, your teammates become your friends, your coaches become, you know, your parental figures, stuff like that. So yeah, we're all kind of talking about the same thing. And, you know, Nebraska does have a, I mean, a, a, uh, I mean, I would call it an advantage in that, in that sense, because, you know, like you said, his uncle is on the staff. His dad was a former all American there. So he, he, he's not from Nebraska, but you know, he's not a son of Nebraska, but he, he's definitely like adjacent to the son of Nebraska. So there is definitely this feeling of familiarity with that program that that is helping them. Uh, but USC does have its own advantages with, you know, winning, you know, 11 wins last year, Heisman winner, Lincoln rally, all that. So it's a different battle of uh, these two these two teams uh, playing to their strengths. And that's not to say that USC can't have that uh, comfortability. Uh, I'm sure he's becoming more and more comfortable with USC as, as the more visits that he takes. But Nebraska does have that inherited balance just because of the familiar uh, connections. I think with this recruitment, just looking from the outside in, you know, the longer he waits, the more you do start to wonder. Because it's it's sort of one of those situations like Caleb Lamu, a lot of the the talk from his camp is similar with Dalen Riola uh, in terms of really liking the coaching staff, having one of the better relationships with his coaching staff, it being closer to home than a lot of his other options, but then not making that official visit. You know, that official visit getting pushed back, pushed back, rescheduled, pushed back. And it just seemed like there was something there that caused him to hesitate. And so you do kind of read between the lines with Dylan Riola. And again, I mean, USC is an option. You know what you're getting. Last year, you could make the argument, although on the offensive side of the ball, it seemed like a lot of those kids were putting a lot more faith into the coaching staff. I mean, you had Malachi Nelson. Uh, you had Zach Branch. You had quite a few guys in the 2023 class on the offensive side of the ball that were ready to sign up. Like they knew, listen, I don't know how many games USC is going to win next year. But I know it's Lincoln Riley, and I know what his offenses do, and I think it's going to be a great fit at USC. I'm going to sign up to be a part of this. And so you kind of feel like, okay, Dylan Riola had 
a whole nother year at that point. He didn't, he wasn't committing right away. He wasn't signing after the season. He could have committed and said, Hey, I'm going to sit back and, and, and see what happens. I have a feeling this is going to be pretty good. I have a feeling Caleb Williams is going to have a great year and this offense would be really good for me. Um, but you know, I don't have to necessarily make that decision in the near future anyways. And he still decided to go the way of Ohio State. And you know why? Because Ryan Day is a better quarterback coach? No. Because Ohio State's closer to home? No. It's because of player development, the NFL, and probably just the vibe that Ohio State is a more successful football program and a program in a better position to win championships. So one thing I will say about Dylan Riola, while a lot of those quarterbacks at the Steve Clarkson camp last year when we were at Memorial, they mm-hmm. weekend, and you know, I made mention of this. I watch these kids. I observe and I take little things. And Dylan Rolla was one of the only quarterbacks that was at that event that was actually there to throw the football. But he wanted to work. He wanted to work. He wanted to compete. He was there with Brandon Enos, and they were throwing the ball back and forth while, you know, Malachi Nelson was off hanging out, doing some stuff with some other people. The other quarterbacks were just not there to compete. And Dylan Rolla was. And that impressed me. And that was one of the things that I made a comment about Brandon Enos and Dylan Rayola getting kind of a vibe together. And you could see that they were on the same wavelength. And I thought that was very interesting. So, you know, that tells me Dylan Rayola is going somewhere to be a great football player and to win games and to compete. He's serious about this. This is not something that I do because the girls like it and I like being popular and NIL and all this other stuff that's superfluous to actually playing football and developing. So I think from that standpoint, you know, that's what USC is really going to have to hone in on. And if he doesn't buy into it, then he is going to eventually go somewhere else. And that's where I think, you know, obviously Georgia can put their best forward with that because they won two championships. They, they have not necessarily been a great program in developing quarterback talent, but they're certainly serious about their football down there. Yeah, and I don't know what else if you want to add anything about Rayola. That's a really good observation that you made because we didn't really – because he was committed to Ohio State at that point, so he wasn't really super on our radar uh, from that uh, Clarkson event because, you know, Jordan Asson was there, Caleb Williams was there, Mario Williams was there, uh, Malachi Nelson was there. So there was a lot of other things on our plate, USC-related. So, yeah, that was an interesting uh, thing to see, you know, that he was out there to work. He wanted to get in some throws. He wanted to learn. He wanted to soak up stuff. He wanted to build relationships with guys. So that, that, that was definitely a big takeaway. And I don't know what else you would like to talk about with this past week of visitors, but I did want to mention, I thought it was significant getting Christian Clark, the mountain point running back on campus, you know, just out there in Phoenix, you know, not super far, but to get him on campus, I thought was significant. Six foot, 195 pounds. USC offered, when he didn't have a profile picture, didn't have a single star to his name. Right now he's a three-star prospect, number 23 running back in the country, four-star in the composite. You know, he's got Alabama, Arizona, Arizona State, Florida State, Georgia, Miami, Nebraska, Michigan State, Ole Miss, Stanford recently offered Tennessee, Texas. So he is blowing up with offers. So I think it was significant to get a guy, you know, out of Arizona, which you have recruited well at, at times. And I think – he could be an interesting pairing for, you know, your your running back class for 2024. You know, USC has the crystal ball for Brian Jackson, that that bigger kind of back. And then Christian Clark, 
who's a really good pass catcher, caught close to 40 passes last year and five touchdowns, over 1,000 yards altogether, uh, 737 rushing rushing yards and 11 touchdowns, average you know over seven yards per carry. I really like him, and you know it's going to be tough because he is blowing up into a, a national recruit with all these big schools sniffing around. But I think this is the guy that USC, USC, USC should be honing on, and it was good to see him get on campus for the first time. For sure, and again, uh, you're talking about you know maybe we're we're presuming a little bit too much, but you're kind of putting Brian Jackson there and penciling him in and saying okay, who's the compliment back in the class to mm-hmm. him? Um, or just, you know, a compliment back to a bigger running back in the class if you decide to go that route. And certainly Christian Clark is another one of those guys. It's another name that comes up. USC has to figure out sort of who they like and make a solid evaluation on that player and what they're going to look like when they get to college. Because like I said before, you know, I would have not said this last year, but having watched Nate Frazier develop physically, seeing what he did at modern day and seeing the football that he still has in him and being a local guy that I think you could get, you know, if you recruited him hard, mm-hmm. I like Nate Frazier a lot. It's like, who's going to take it from Nate Frazier, basically. And you're looking at Jason Brown and, and I would say, you know, even though, you know, Nate is a bit bigger than Jason Brown, just in, you know, stature wise. Again, uh, uh, Jason's pretty diminutive. He's not a small bag, but he's diminutive. He, he's, he's definitely not a big guy. Um, you know, Jason is a little bit more of your everyday on type bag as opposed to Nate being the guy that was the compliment to Jordan Davidson. Now, you also look at that down the road and say, hey, does that help you with Jordan Davidson? Does that build a receiver room or, excuse me, a, a running back room? that he's very comfortable in because you've got that sort of pipeline of Raleigh Brown to Nate Frazier to Jordan Davidson. I mean, you know, modern day hasn't been too bad uh, the past three years as a football program. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to go out there and try to pilfer the top players from that football program, which has been the top football program in the country for the past few years. So, yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for that as well. Um, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm pounding the table for Nate Frazier, but it's mm-hmm. one of those things where sometimes you, you know, look a little too hard and the grass isn't greener on the other side. So it's one of those things where, you know, I don't get the vibe that USC is recruiting Nate Frazier particularly hard. And it's interesting to see them going, you know, out of the region a little bit. You know, obviously Christian Clark is, is still in the region, but going up to, 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 you know, try to recruit Jason Brown away from, you know, Ohio State and Oregon and some of these other schools. Nevertheless, I, I mean, I don't want to say that, you know, USC spinning their wheels there because I don't necessarily get the sense that, at least talking to Jason Brown, that USC is recruiting him a whole lot harder than anybody else either. I mean, I think that uh, that Oregon, you know, talking to him definitely has put their best foot forward and are probably recruiting him harder than other schools. So it's just one of those things where maybe, you know, he's coming down for an unofficial visit and, you know, they're chatting him up and it's like, hey, you know, we really like you and everything. I don't know if the food chain has necessarily been, you know, uh, put in put in place in terms of who you go after and who you like the best. You know, the board may be still shifting a little bit and you're trying to figure out, you know, who's that guy. To, to me, if we're talking about Thunder and Lightning, and you're trying to make a decision between a bunch of good running backs you like on film, 
you got to get the cold hard facts. And that comes down to track numbers. That comes down to how fast are these guys in the 40? You know, you're probably not going to be able to make this decision like the olden days where you had them camp because that's how you sort of settled this stuff. Um, You know, you could do that when they're younger guys and, you know, they're like freshmen, sophomore. But these kids nowadays, man, they don't come to team camps anymore. So you're going to have to look at the offseason numbers and try to make an evaluation. Again, if it's, you know, film you like, everybody's like, hey, man, we like this guy's film. We like this guy's film. Um, You know, obviously Nate Frazier doesn't have the numbers from a production standpoint, but he lost that 10-7 out there. And that's, you know, 10-8 is sort of that number to me where you start talking about a guy that's got real speed, like kind of game-breaking speed. That's, you know, when you get in below that 10-8 range on the football field and it's applicable, some guys are track guys and it doesn't really show up. But with a guy like Nate Frazier, it shows up. That's sort of where I go, all right, you know, that that might be the deciding factor for me if I'm really, you know, confused and really just unsure just watching, you know, film evaluation of these. It'll definitely be interesting to see if Nate Frazier is a name or a face that pops up when we're out there for the Rising Stars camps uh, this summer, maybe for one of those elite camps. But like you said, a lot of those guys don't come out and do those camps uh, uh, all that often. But, you know, if you know he wants that offer, we'll, we'll see what happens. And, you know, obviously USC could very easily offer down the line. Uh, he's just up the street at modern days. He can probably going for another big season or to have a, a better season that he did as a junior. And we'll see what that turns into. But uh, coach McDonald seems to lock up his commitments early. Like he did with last season with the Marion Peterson and Quinn Joyner had those guys locked up by the summer and then it was done. Held those guys all year uh, till December for their signing. So it's going to be interesting to see what the strategy is. I'm going to slow, I'm going to slow you down and interject here, Chris. Nate Frazier has a scholarship offer from USC. Yes, he does. He was offered, I believe, as an athlete initially because he was offered by Dante Williams when he was playing quarterback. So technically, he has a scholarship offer. And he's getting mm. to USC uh, this year. But it hasn't necessarily been uh, a lot of communication between he and Kyle McDonald. I mean, he talked about that being one of the biggest things that he needed to talk to USC more. He needed to, to talk to, to Lincoln Riley more. He needed to have more communication. But he does have a scholarship offer from USC, at least at Facebook. Right. I, I remember when they offered him at St. Pius uh, with his teammate, whose name I'm blanking on right now. Uh, yeah, um, both of those guys were offered. Uh, Jordan Shaw. Jordan Shaw, yeah. They were both offered. But I kind of just wiped that from my mind as no no clear reoffer has been established. True, uh, true. Like and I mean, and there's always – the argument, you know, is it a committable offer? You know, mm-hmm. and I don't get the sense that it is. I, I think that, as I said before, I don't get the sense that there's, you know, a lot of consistent communication from USC, that USC is really pushing uh, very hard. Now, necessarily, they may get that vibe, like if they push hard, that he may commit, and they may, again, not have their board completely sorted out as to, you know, who they like and who they really have a shot at and, you know, they've got some scholarship offers to a couple of running backs in Texas. They may like them as well. So it may be just a matter of kind of sorting out who they like. Uh, May evaluation period, you can kind of see these guys a little bit. If Nate is still running track, you see where he's at on the track. See if some of these other guys run track. Um, and so, yeah, from that standpoint, uh, you know, is it, a, is it a committable offer? And is that a real scholarship offer? I mean, you can make that argument. 
Uh, but he does technically have a scholarship offer from USC. And at least, you know, talking to him a few weeks ago, he acknowledged that, you know, USC is, is an option from that standpoint, at least from his perspective. Okay, fair enough. Technically does have a scholarship offer. We'll see what happens in the future for Nate Frazier, Christian Clark, and that running back class. Gerard, I think it's time we move into some quick updates for visitors that have hit USC midweek, an update for the Holy Hour Visitor Week, and then do some spring football before a break. Yeah, so, let's, let's go. Let's keep going, baby. Okay, yeah, we're, 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 we're on a roll. A holy roll. It's it's we we have a little bit of a holy theme here. You know, you talked about um, God being your personal trainer, and there's no better yes. trainer than God. No, uh, I, 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 I I agree. The holy hour, the holy week. I, I I don't know how you described it at the top of the podcast, but it made me giggle like a little schoolgirl. And now we're we're back to it, and and it's it's we're not there yet to Easter weekend Passover. We're we're not quite there yet with something to look forward to, but we do have. An unofficial visitor is going to USC this weekend, who was originally scheduled to be a part of the Holy Hour, which is April 8th. So go ahead and talk to us a little bit about the rundown of guys who are going to be on campus for USC this weekend. Yeah, so I think I, I put two of them uh, on the Peristyle earlier in the week when I got that information. So just a quick plug to join the Peristyle. I had these guys up there for their visit before, but Temple, Texas quarterback, Selman Bridges, Really long cornerback, six foot four. USC offered, I believe, in the winter of 2022. I could be wrong on that. Maybe just before in January, but they offered him, and USC has been making a big push with him. And then McKinney, three-star linebacker, Ty Anthony Smith, goes by Ty. Uh, USC got him on campus this week. He was at practice on Wednesday. I uh, saw him out there. You know, media were allowed at Wednesday practice, so. Got to see him. And then Birmingham three-star athlete Peyton Waters, who we've mentioned multiple times on the show. He was at practice uh, as well on Wednesday. Not a ton of kids at the practice, but these were two of the big-time names. And then Kane Archer, uh, which is just a great name for a quarterback. He is a 2026 quarterback out of Arkansas. He took a visit uh, as well. He was at practice, him and his dad. Uh, he's got a couple handful of offers. Uh, but again, just a 2026, six foot one, 204 pounds. He is, he trains out here in California. So he was in town, decided to stop by. He, he was uh, on the radar of Lincoln Riley and that staff while he was at Oklahoma, took a visit there at one point. So just continuing that relationship. So he was another guy out there at practice this weekend, or excuse me, in the midweek. And then the new Holy Hour visitor is four star offensive tackle out of Missouri, Andrew Sprague. I believe that's how we, uh, Decided to, to say his last name, but he is a six foot eight, three hundred or uh, two hundred ninety pound uh, offensive tackle out of Missouri. Consensus four star USC recently offered uh, a couple weeks ago. Wrote about him in the War Room. This update comes courtesy of Tom Loy and uh, over there at their Notre Dame site. Uh, he's going to be taking a visit to Notre Dame, Nebraska, and then the final one will be for that April eighth uh, Holy Hour, as we have dubbed. So another big time name for what is shaping up to be a big. Uh, recruiting weekend in april yeah i think um interesting that uh they get ty anthony smith out here this week he was originally scheduled to come out april 8th uh still could still could with his teammate brian jackson and so you know that's an interesting duo to kind of keep an eye on out of mckinney texas and peyton waters uh, being down at usc again i mean it seems like usc 
uh, is is becoming a leader for him. Uh, I talked a little bit uh, with the seven on coaches and, and everything about him just as a player and Dante Williams um, really recruiting him hard as a defensive back and a guy that, you know, uh, legitimately possibly could be recruited as a wide receiver. So, you know, the ball skills are there and you know that the awareness is there um, as a receiver, uh, but, um, you know, kind of a little bit of a unicorn just in terms of his length and being a taller defensive back. So, uh, you know, that's what makes him a bit unique. And that's why, you know, he's blown up a little bit over the past couple of months. So we'll see how, you know, these things shake out. And, um, you know, Selman Bridges is, is, a, is kind of blew up himself. And as a guy that I know the Texas schools really like, um, you know, another guy that we talked about potentially visiting USC, um, but the latest after the battle tournament in Las Vegas, you know, he didn't really talk about USC so much specifically. It seemed like he was more going to be like a big 12 type of recruit. So we'll see if this unofficial visit, you know, sort of moves the needle for him and and does, you know, something uh, enough to impact and, and put USC, you know, maybe in his top three. USC had a lot of unofficial visitors last spring, you know, a lot of top guys that were saying a lot of good things about USC. I mean, I remember Cedric Baker was um, one of the guys, the five-star running back out of uh, Florida, you know, who was talking about, you know, his relationship with Kyle McDonald. Baker or Baxter? Um, one of those. Um, I can't remember. He didn't <laughs> go to Baxter. USC. He picked uh, another school. It was Texas. And so we basically forget about his name and that he existed. So, uh, but he was a guy that, you know, talked to USC. We had the, South Florida Express guys out here at this time last year. And, oh, my gosh, you know, USC is, is one of my top schools. I can't wait to officially visit it. And I don't think any of those guys officially visited USC, not even Brandon Enos, who ended up committing to uh, Ohio State uh, over the summer. So it's one of those things that, you know, it, it's um, it's traction season is, is what we could call it. And that's the good thing for USC this year is that I think that's going to be what it is instead of during the summer and, and where you're getting guys on official visits where you're trying – to get traction with them and you know they're going to make a decision on a school here within the month and now it's like you're getting traction with some of these guys on unofficial visits you have something to show on film and you're hoping that the guys you bring in, in the summer are the guys that you're trying to close the deal with Gerard, are you ready to talk some spring football and some weights i'm very 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 interested to talk about spring football and newcomers and cross training and weights and numbers and everything uh, in between, I think that, um, you know, this is where the rubber beats the road. This is where, you know, we talk about all these five-star, four-star prospects and two-star prospects, uh, which, you know, are few and far between. But it doesn't mean anything unless you can translate it to on the field, playing in a USC football uniform and how those guys are developing to actually win football games for USC. Because we talk about recruiting national titles and transfers and this, that, and the other and ratings, but it means nothing if it's not helping USC win more football games. So this is sort of where the rubber meets the road. This is the initial reactions and sort of feel as to, okay, what does USC actually have? And so the opening of spring football started this weekend. It really started Friday, I was told, by uh, Jericho Johnson, who took his unofficial visit to USC on Friday, and they had a walkthrough on Mm -hmm. Friday, which he said they did a bunch of drills. And he did, they did a bunch of defensive line drills, and he really liked the drills, and he was going to take those home with him. And so even though media has not had access uh, to the, the team at all oh. until, uh, I think, Sunday, um, or Sunday was recognized as the first real practice. Uh, practice actually started Friday. Yeah, and I guess the 
I guess the the mainstream idea of practice starting was that was on Sunday, but we were allowed media for the first time on Wednesday. So Gerard, I know since you're so fired up, where do you want to start first? Do you want to start at cross training or the kind of height and weight measurements of uh, some some key guys? Let's go with cross training, and I want to hear more about Jarrett Kingston playing right guard, the guy that we thought was a potential franchise left tackle for USC. Such a big get in the transfer portal is now playing interior offensive lineman. Yeah, so I think the first like th- alarm bell, not alarm bell, but like no, it's an alarm bell, Chris. You said it right. It's okay, a well, alarm bell. A guy well, the first. Probably not a franchise left tackle if you're putting them on the interior. Well, yeah, okay. So the first alarm bell in my head was when he came out. And now this isn't to say Jerry Kingston isn't a big dude, but he wasn't as tall and long as I thought he was going to be. He was more, I mean, he's probably six foot four, you know, he's still big and he's really thick and, and built out super big arms, uh, huge, you know, uh, Big lower lower body, uh, but he's not like he he doesn't like look like a tackle length. If that makes sense. No, uh, that's absolutely because that is always the thing that separates interior linemen from true offensive tackles, and why it's so hard to get true offensive tackles. I mean, there's a lot of guys initially, even at the high school ranks, they're listed as six five three fifteen, and then you go and see him in person, and the kid is six three and a half. And, you know, he's just, he's 300 pounds. It's like, okay, 6'3", 300 pounds. You are playing on the interior offensive line. There's no way you're playing against these fast, you know, 4'6", 6'5", 260-pound defensive linemen uh, if you do not have that length. You need the wingspan and you need the balance and the athleticism, but you need the ability to be able to reach out there with your with your arms to be able to get a hold of this guy to slow him down. So that's always the big difference between alignment if you're going to play the interior and the exterior. And we've been led to believe and watching him on film, he's pretty good left tackle for Washington Mm -hmm. state last year, but it's the eye test of just seeing the frame and seeing, you know, what he is going to be able to do physically in this offense, as opposed to what Washington state was doing and him initially getting bumped down. Now it doesn't mean that he can't still play left tackle. Listen, Elijah Vera Tucker, everybody right now saying Gerard, 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 you forget about Elijah Vera Tucker. And he was playing offensive guard for USC and then kicked over to left tackle, got himself drafted in the first round. And that's absolutely true. So I really shouldn't say, yeah, your franchise guy is not going to be playing interior if, you know, you need that guy at left left tackle. But it is interesting because you do need a left tackle and you do want to have a guy that is going to be able to focus on that position, knowing that you've got your Heisman Trophy quarterback there, regardless of the wheels that he may have, you want that guy to learn that position and be comfortable at that position and to really lock down that position. So I find it very interesting, if not suspicious, that he ends up playing on the interior to start spring camp instead of getting his feet wet and understanding this offense and the nuances and just the feel for developing a pocket for Caleb Williams and, and how Caleb Williams likes to move uh, first and then maybe playing around here later on in practice a little bit moving around. Yeah. And I, I, Henson specifically said, cause he was asked about it. It was that he, he feels like Kingston's future for the next level is on the interior, which, you know, that's fair, but it was just interesting that 
that's how he he put it out there, and that's and that's essentially where he's starting out. And again, they're they're going to be cross training guys, so like for the next practice we see, Carrick Kingston could be at left tackle for all we know. But it just it was just interesting just to see that after you know we've been talking about him as a left tackle, and that means Michael Turquin, who played and started right tackle at yeah. Florida, is going to be taking the left tackle spot, or at least initially is competing at that spot with, I guess, what, Mason Murphy? Uh, Mason Murphy was on the right side, and then uh, Corlin Ford was at that second team left tackle. And when we talk about tackle bodies, like looking at Michael Tarquin, like, yeah, that's a tackle body. He is a he is a large, large human being, and, yeah, he definitely looked the part of a tackle. So that's interesting. I mean, that is one of those things where, you know, we talked about projection and how maybe colleges go away from recruiting a bunch of guys that they have to project at the high school level because you don't know if they're going to pan out. And you go to the portal because there are guys there that you have college film on, and there's a lot more ready-made, less guesswork. This is what you what you see is what you get. But evidently not. Evidently, you've got now an SEC right tackle playing left tackle for your team, which I don't know what that says about your team. But you also have a guy that a lot of people talked about, you know, potentially going to the NFL a year early as a left tackle now kicking in to the interior. I I think USC still is getting an upgrade and getting better on the offensive line. I mean, I think you're getting more depth. You're getting more talent at the front end. Uh, But it is interesting because it still makes you wonder, you know, is that left tackle spot maybe not as secure as you thought it was because you have a guy that played right tackle you know, at Florida now playing left tackle for you. And so, you know, maybe there's, you know, they're obviously still going to be searching for that uh, franchise left tackle, whether it be at the high school level or trying to get another transfer. But, um, you know, the, the blind side of uh, your Heisman Trophy quarterback is uh, still up for grabs, it seems. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to watch. And, you know, Cortland Ford, still an option, looks a little bit slimmer. Also, a genuine tackle body. But, yeah, I mean, how would you feel about an interior of Ethan White, Justin Dietrich, and Jared Kingston at that guard spot? Yeah, again, I, I think that's a, a good place to start. I mean, you still have Jonah Monheim there, and I know you guys talked a little bit about Jonah Monheim moving and playing some center, which I could see that, you know, uh, down the road for him. Certainly, I think, you know, he's been uh, really sort of a multi-tool for that offensive line, and you want to make yourself uh, versatile – uh, for the NFL and give yourself that ability to play multiple positions because guys get hurt. And if you can move around, you're much more of a commodity uh, for the NFL as you are even at the college level. So that makes sense, you know, for him, uh, uh, you know, and, and we've seen, you know, other guys like Andrew Millick and, um, you know, Gino Canones play some center. So the center position, it's a difficult position to learn. And you can see where, you know, you're trying to create depth uh, within, you know, your own rotation of being able to move those guys around and play those positions. It's uh, it's one of those things where I, I guess, you know, center, although difficult and, and you have to call um, the, 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 the blocks and pass protection and, and any blitzes or whatever you see, um, ultimately, though, physically it's less demanding than left tackle. I mean, left tackle just takes that sort of unique body, that unique athleticism, and I guess USC just doesn't feel necessarily like they have that on the roster, so they're going to move. Tarquin over there. So we'll see how he adjusts to that. He's a bit of a spastic 
pass blocker, but definitely, in my opinion, uh, from what I've seen, um, it, it's interesting. I thought he was a better run blocker than Ethan White was, even though Ethan White is, you know, like 330, 340 pounds. I actually felt like Ethan White watching a good bit of film of Florida was the superior pass blocker. So, you know, we'll see how that shakes out and, and the development of those two. I, I think with Ethan White, um, you know, his weight getting to that second level was a little bit of an issue for him in certain situations. Uh, even though he was second team all SEC, uh, watching him get to that second level, he didn't always sustain his blocks well in the run game. Uh, whereas the pass game, it just seemed like, man, he, he had a good kick step, quick feet for a guy his size. And he's so enormous that you just weren't really getting around him. So mm-hmm. um, Tarquin was a little bit more of a guy that kicked out and in the run game seemed to be able to get downfield a little more, had some good athleticism. But again, spastic in the passing game. Sometimes he kicked his kick step. He just got a little too far out, a little too uh, – made too much space for that pass rusher and, and put himself in some, some interesting situations there. So um, the offensive line is obviously going to be very interesting um, position to watch for USC, but we're in a completely different place from last year. Last year, it's like, God, just, you know, if the offensive line can just sort of break even, you know, (laughs) I mean, this offense could be great. Like, this is really the weak link. And it turned out to be like the offensive line played really well. So now, you know, you've raised expectations with the offensive line enormously from last offseason, which, again, all credit to to Josh Henson and, and the development job that he's done with guys like Mason Murphy and, 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 you know, the, the, the movement of guys um, when you had guys get hurt and putting Gino Canonis in there, that's really where you get to see the development. It's, it's not necessarily the frontline guys, especially if you've got guys that are already seniors, like, you know, Andrew Voorhees, it's the guys behind them that, you know, get their initial start. And we saw Mason Murphy struggle mightily in his first uh, game action. And he was so out of sorts getting all kinds of penalties and, you know, he was just kind of a mess in that first initial uh, playing time that he had, but it was coming back and getting more playing time and seeing how he got better. Now, he didn't play great against Utah at the end of the season, uh, but nobody really did on the offensive line. I mean, you know, Andrew uh, Justin Didis didn't play uh, very good against Utah the second time. Um, but, you know, I think um, towards the end of the year, uh, just as a whole, if you're looking at the body of his performances, Mason Murphy played pretty well. I, again, a guy that I would love to see like down the line, I, I think maybe interior um, could be his spot. If you're looking at the NFL and you're looking at, you know, kind of like peak, you know, he could be like a really, really, you know, we're talking, you know, maybe like first, uh, you know, two, three rounds sort of uh, interior lineman. Um, it's hard for interior lineman to get drafted super high, but you know, just like the ultimate ceiling for him, Mason Murphy, I kind of feel like, you know, he would be pretty good if they kicked him in. I just don't think USC is going to do it at this point because they haven't yet. They really have tried to keep him on the peripheral. Let's move on to some of the skill positions and one being a, a linebacker and one being a former linebacker, Rajon Davis and Carson Atabarucci. We didn't get your reaction to Carson moving from middle linebacker to technically, quote unquote, tight end, but he is going to be playing more of an H-back kind of role. And then Rajon Davis playing the Mike backer and running with the number ones early in camp uh, alongside Shane Lee at that will spot. So Gerard reaction to that, you can start wherever you want Rajon or Tabarucci. 
Yeah, I mean, I think with Tabarachi, it's very, it's a perfect fit for him just seeing mm-hmm. what he did in high school because he was really a running back, uh, mostly in high school and, and caught the ball really well out of the backfield. Uh, he's, a, he's a decently sized guy. He never played linebacker before. And so he'd really played mostly defensive back safety and played running back. And so his first consistent run as a linebacker was spring ball at Utah. And so, you thought, okay, I mean, he's, he's athletic enough. Okay. I mean, that he's going to be a more athletic inside linebacker than USC has at this point. And you thought in the back of your head, but man, you know what? That H back spot, they, USC doesn't have that player that they used at Oklahoma. You know, they're going to have to use some of the tight ends, guys like Blake McCree, to play that spot. But those guys are tight end bodies. You know, they're 6'4, 6'5, 235, 250 pound guys. And Carson Tabarachi is really, the first real true H-back guy that they're going to have in that room, which is to say that he's an actual run threat as an H-back, which is usually what you want to have. You you want to bring motion. You want to keep the defense honest with that wham block motion where you bring that H-back across the formation. And because you've got tight ends that have been there, you know, last year, you're not going to hand the ball off to Lake McCree, okay? You're not going to hand the ball off to Malcolm Mess. Those guys are just too big. They're going to get folded in half trying to make a cut inside. Whereas a guy like Carson Tabarachi has the vision, has the athleticism, and, and, and is a little shorter and a little harder to be able to, to score up on, could actually be pretty good, uh, whether it be down in the red zone or just to pop a play, you know, where he just runs a little like inside sweep and the defense is just not looking for it because they're used to him either blocking or chipping out and going out in the flat uh, for pass. So that's a perfect spot for him. And, and you know, we talked a little bit about um, Kate Eldridge and how he plays running back for Linfield Christian. And he's going to be on campus during the summer. He's a bit bigger. He's 6'4", 235. So he's a bigger guy. But he is another guy that's played running back in high school. And athletically, you know, he knows what to do with the ball in his hands. And some guys just, you just don't know. You have to have the vision. You have to have the feel of the position. So he's another guy that's run the football. So you see that real true H-back. A position developing for USC. So I think that's very interesting. Um, it's it's kind of exciting to see if that's a new wrinkle, if they do actually use Carson Tabarachi as a runner. Um, I think with Rajon Davis, we'll see. You know, Mike Linebacker, I don't know. I mean, I've always felt like Will Linebacker was going to be the place where he made the impact for USC, um, kind of playing aside the Mike Linebacker, just because he was a guy that played very north and south at modern day. He was an edge rusher at modern day. He's used to attacking the line of scrimmage. And the Mike linebacker has a little more read and react sort of responsibilities as opposed to the will where you're kind of just cleaning up that play and you tend to have your more athletic linebackers at the will position. Uh, They're the guys that are going to end up most likely having to take a running back out of the backfield. Um, They're going to get stuck in space playing against somebody in the passing game more often. And Rashawn Davis is a guy that, that, you know, when he played for ground zero seven on seven, he played kind of as a safety for them. I mean, he would, I remember talking to Armand Hawkins, who is a co-founder of Ground Zero, who, um, you know, very, very transparent in his evaluations of his players and talked about Rashawn Davis saying, you know, he's a guy that's got legitimate type safety athleticism for him. Like a lot of these seven on teams, they're they're pulling guys off the field and they're playing cornerbacks at say, at the at middle linebacker. And it's kind of nonsense personnel wise. They're just trying to get the most. Uh, athletic, uh, fast guys on the field, but it's not like real football. You know, you don't have a run game, so you don't need a bigger guy there. But they would put 
Rajon Davis out there and he played for them and they were comfortable with him because he was athletic enough to play that position. So again, Mike, I mean, you, you got Mason Cobb there and, and you've got Tackett Curtis there. I'm like, Hey, Mike's good. You know, I want to know who's going to play Will, and I know what you're going to do with Eric Gentry, which is still open-ended because he's obviously injured and he's not going to play a whole lot this spring because of that injury. You know, is he going to move? Is he going to learn a new position? I would be disappointed if we see him just competing at a stacked Mike position with Mason Cobb and Tackett Curtis and Rajon Davis. Somebody's going to have to play some other position. Get creative. Get creative. Yeah, exactly. I mean, listen, the one thing you can't say about Alex Grinch last season was that he was not creative. He was certainly <laughs> creative. They used, uh, you know, Tuli Toy Pelotu all over the field. And so, yeah, I, I don't think that's going to be a problem. I think, you know, right now that, the you know, they've got the competition going. Uh, Mason Cobb told me, you know, in the offseason, right after he committed to USC, that he wanted to learn both uh, Will and Mike. And I, I do think, you know, Will, I could see if, and this is a big if, Tackett Curtis can absorb the playbook and they feel confident enough with him playing Mike linebacker and making those calls, then I think that gives you the luxury of being able to have Rayshon Davis or Mason Cobb uh, be able to play Will. Mason Cobb, I think definitely you want learning both and doing both, you know, just in case injuries or or what have you. Um, but I think with Rayshon, I'd let him go ham as a Will linebacker. Gerard, heights and weights. Where do you want to start? Where do you want to start? I know where the parasite wants us to start. Well, since you covered probably the most out of Corey Foreman, how big would you say Corey Foreman was in high school? He was 250, 260. Okay. This talk that he's always been 235, but USC just listed him as 260 is nonsense. <laughs> That's not true. He's always been in that two, you know, 240, probably as a junior. And he probably got a little higher in there to that like 260 range uh, when he was actually playing. But we got to remember that 2020 year, he did not play a full season of football. Mm -hmm. He played a little sort of AAU with winter circle. And he was, oh, man, I can't remember what Jordan Campbell had said his weight was around. But I want to say he was like two fit. I think Jordan Campbell actually at one point said he was 275. And then we didn't believe that. And then. He sort of – and then then I think Corey had sort of confirmed like he was 260 or something of that nature like a couple months later right before that expo- exposition, exhibition game um, that he played uh, for the Winter Circle. So, yeah, he was – he was you know, I, I never thought that he was a, a lot smaller than his listed weight. And we already talked about, you know, high school listed weights and heights tend to be – you get two inches and you get 10 pounds. That's usually what they give you. And I think with Corey, I mean, he's always been like a legit, you know, like 6'4"-ish, and I never really questioned him not being at least in that 250 range. Um, mm-hmm. 235, yeah, that's that's definitely slim. Now the question is, is he really 235 now? You I know, mean, I, I looked at him, and I didn't really think he looked like all that different from what I've seen him in the past, you know. If you've seen Corey Foreman, you know, he looked like an SEC guy coming in, big muscles, built up top, just really developed uh, physically. He didn't look really any different from like when I first seen him. You know, it's not like he was like withering away or anything. He looked like he was in that 240, 245, maybe even 250 range. I, I didn't notice a big difference is what I'm saying. I will say that I thought he did lose some weight last year. Mm-hmm. I thought he looked a bit slimmer last year, and I'm going, is it the number zero? Because the zero should really make you look a little bigger <laughs> than 
you you were and so i wasn't 100 sure like what i was looking at and i didn't get to really talk to him about that specifically but i did think that he trimmed down a bit last year when i saw him now we could also transition to sam green being 240 pounds on the roster and playing rush end yeah quinion bars is now uh, listed at 290, which I believe he was 315 on Arizona's roster or 310 on Arizona's roster. So, you know, the topic of small ball, Alex Grinch's philosophy defensively and defensively with the front seven, what he did at Washington State and what he had done at other programs and sort of that approach to personnel, we are seeing a little bit of a pattern here. We cannot deny it. I know there was some copium earlier in the pair style where it's like, oh, you know, Corey's not really 235 pounds. They always lie on list weights. And that's true to some extent. You see a lot of guys, they come into the program and say they're 240 pounds. And three years later, they're still listed at 240 pounds. And you look at them, you say, this, this player has definitely gained some weight since that point. And so you don't really necessarily know for sure where guys are. It is interesting to see the drop in weight from certain players. Certain players have talked about trying to slim down to get faster. And that's always a little bit of an eye roll. And we can go back to the inner Bubba rant that I went on uh, a couple of podcasts ago. But at the same time, we have Anthony Lucas, who is listed at 295 pounds, which he was listed at 275 pounds on Texas A&M's roster. So it's not like all of the defensive linemen are seeing a decrease in weight. Anthony Lucas is weighing in supposedly at 295. The question is Chris Trevino. Do you think he weighs 295? I was talking to a reporter about this as we were waiting outside, and Anthony Lucas had walked out. And do I think he's 295 pounds? No. But I think he's like 285 pounds. I think he's like 280 pounds. The thing about Anthony Lucas is he has like a I'm not I'm not saying he's fat. I'm just saying he has like a a gut in the middle. Do you know what I'm saying, Gerard? He's not like he has like a six-pack like Corey Foreman. He's got some some size in the middle of his stomach is what I'm saying. And that's what makes me think he is a little bit heavier than what uh, than we what we imagine. Yeah, I mean, 295 would be excellent. Uh, granted, Tui Tui Pelotu was listed at 290 pounds at USC, and he ended up at the combine, which we'll talk a little bit but about. Also, but I also think he slimmed down from training, so I think that's – you know, he, he probably yes. wasn't 290, but he definitely slimmed down with tra- training yes. throughout the months. I agree with that. I don't think he may have been not 290 maybe last season. Um, how much did he slim down? That remains to be, you know, debated. Uh, one other guy that has gained some weight on the roster that I just noticed was Garrison Madden, who came mm-hmm. in at about 200, 205, and now he's listed at 215, 6'3". So, a guy that, you know, was running track and, and was a legitimate, you know, sort of like I think that 10-8 range um, as a linebacker. So one of the faster players in the field. We're going to see, you know, how he plays and, you know, if he's able to get some playing time and, and make some splash during the spring. And another guy, teams guy you would – especially teams guys, but another guy that when you talk about like linebacker positions, will and, you know, potentially we talk about like a wrinkle with maybe, you know, a Sam linebacker. Um, LSU used to call it the star position where um, you were that sort of nickel linebacker, nickel safety position. And just depending on who you're playing against personnel wise, you know, what, what kind of body do you want out there? Do you want a Max Williams playing against a spread offense team that's going to run a lot of RPO or do you want, 
a bigger body because you're playing against an Oregon or you're playing against a Utah or even UCLA that really trying to control the line of scrimmage with the run game. Um, it'll be interesting to see because USC has some more bodies there and some more guys that are maybe capable physically of uh, being able to bolster the physicality of the front seven, which is God almighty needed at USC. Um, seeing how uh, they just let too many teams gash them for big yards, especially in the second half. That's got to stop. I mean, it's got to be with the pass rush and certainly got to be with uh, the rush defense. You know, that ranking has to improve. You got to break in to the top 100 uh, if you're USC at the very least. Yeah, Rajon Davis is even up uh, several pounds. I think it was like 10 pounds. Garrison Madden, as you mentioned, is up. You know, Eric Gentry has a five-pound gain on his uh, from 2022 to 20. Uh, 23, but Lincoln Riley did no, did mention specifically that he is really happy with the the weight progress that Eric Gentry has made. So I'm excited to see what his body type looked like. Uh, Kalen Bullock has 10 pounds added to him. I, I can tell. I can see it in the arms. Latrell McCutcheon looks bigger. Jacoby Covington looks bigger. Zion Branch is up 10 pounds. So they're getting a little bit bigger, uh, Gerard, for sure. So Just not on the defensive line. <laughs> Just not on the defensive line, it seems. Uh, do you have any reaction to Green at a rush end? I'm not. I'm not shocked. I will tell you because since I made that yeah. comment about seeing him, it, it it just makes sense. You have to put him there. Initially, for sure. I mean, he's quick. Um, he's so quick. He's so quick. But you know, you like that quickness on the interior too, and you just want to see him with more weight on him. So. You know, if you come to a fork in the road and it's like, okay, he's fast, how much faster is he at 240 as opposed to 255, 260? And how much quicker is he at that weight um, as opposed to actually being a 280, 285-pound player when that may be where ultimately he needs to be because he's not going to be that guy that's, you know, 6'5", 265. I mean, this, again, kind of correlating – with the NFL talk, which we'll talk about, it's always one of those things where you're kind of looking at what the impact is now and what the ceiling is and how those two things coexist. Because listen, at the end of the day, for USC, they need contribution. They need production now. Like we can sit here and talk about, well, ultimately, his best position in the NFL is going to be, well, what is his best position going to be for USC? That's what USC cares about. So Trojan fans care about. Um, you know, ultimately down the road is not necessarily the concern of USC as much as it is, you know, the team that's going to draft that particular player. And, you know, certainly you want to give those players the best form for that. You want to give them a stage in which they can prepare themselves for that. But again, it has to coalesce with the production that you can get out of that player for yourself. So, you know, with Sam Green, is he long enough to play on the edge and be a guy that's going to be an impactful guy at like 6'1", 240 pounds? I question that. I question, you know, when you have that sort of size and he's not a long guy, and this is what we are seeing more and more from the NFL and at the college level is that if you're going to play on the edges, you've got to be long. And that's that's even true with the offense. I and mean, we just talked about the difference between offensive tackles and offensive guards. It tends to be wingspan. It tends to be the length because you are engaging blocks. You are shedding blocks with your arms. And so your arms are a big deal in how you are playing at the line of scrimmage. And if you've got short arms and you're built like 
a fire hydrant tend to push that guy inside where that's not such a big guy, big deal because leverage becomes more of an issue. The space between you and the blocker is much shorter. There's not that amount of space. So the long arms is not necessarily needed quite as much, and it becomes more of a leverage game. It becomes a quickness game. You're playing in a phone booth. You're a street fighter. You need to be, get into that gap. And if you can beat that guy off the snap and get on that gap, boom, you're a playmaker. You're a contributor. So that's kind of the issue that I have with looking at Sam Green as being an edge rusher. I, I think that, you know, watching him at, at, the, at the high school level, and I mean, for St. Francis, he was playing inside, and he's playing alongside Deshaun, uh, I can't remember his last name. It's not Deshaun Hand. I always think of Deshaun Hand when I think Womack? of Womack. Womack, yes, uh, who went to LSU. And Womack is longer. You know, Womack was thought of as the better prospect because he's only – listed at I think he was like listed like 245 or something he he wasn't necessarily like had that ready-made you know 285 290 pound defensive uh body that you would think you know LSU would go after and those guys are you know growing on trees down there in Louisiana he's a little slimmer than that and the question is going to be you know how much weight can he put on him uh and, and still play in the interior but he did have longer arms and he was a little bit more frame wise a guy that you could see playing at that 275, 280-pound um, defensive tackle or maybe even a five-technique position, just sort of depending on. But with Sam Green, I think the question, again, is, you know, with his with his length, can he be able to get away from a 6'5", 310-pound offensive tackle that, you know, he's quick and he's fast, and there's always exceptions to the rule, but we do not – center our conversation on the exception you know we have to acknowledge the rule and the rule tends to be you know you got to be taller you got to have longer arms to be able to disengage your blocks uh, on the edge definitely we'll have to see i'm excited to see what he looks like in a spring game setting you know we'll we'll see if he can make some plays out there on that stage at that russian spot anything about the numbers that have been issued with some of these new guys no i mean i thought it was kind of odd to see Makai Lemon get number 24. It's, sort of it's a weird back. one. It's a weird uh, one. That's a different one. Dorian Singer going with the 1-5 instead of just the 5, which obviously he wasn't going to be able to get. Um, I would like to know if uh, he approached Reggie Bush at all about maybe trying to get the number 5, if that was ever up to debate, or he was just you know happy to go ahead and get that number 15. The number 15 was made famous by Nelson Aguilar, so a very good wide receiver for USC. And so, um, you know, that's a that's a good wide receiver number for USC, nonetheless. But um, interested to uh, know if uh, Reggie Bush ever got a call about uh, trying to unretire that number five, like we saw with Jordan Addison and Carson Palmer. Before we go to our break, I just want to confirm, Gerard, that I did see Amarion Peterson. I can confirm he does exist. He's number twenty-seven, isn't he? Yes, twenty-seven. How does he look? Because he's a guy that we were talking about on film. He looks like he's a good 6'1", almost 6'2", 210, 215 pounds. And again, we don't know a whole lot about the competition level. He was playing against Wichita Falls, Texas, not necessarily in our wheelhouse of uh, former Trojan players and prospects, but he was a guy that kind of towered over some of the guys he was playing against. Uh, he impressive guy looking uh, at him. Yeah, I, I I was impressed looking at him. I was impressed by both of those. But I'd seen Quentin Joyner before. Obviously, I needed to get my eyes on the mystery that was Peterson. And yeah, he definitely was the bigger of the two backs. And 
I'm excited to see. He apparently drew some uh, rave reviews early, so we'll we'll see what he looks like, and you know, a backfield that can use uh, some bigger bodies. But Marshawn Lloyd was kind of the the headliner out of that group. Looks like an SEC running back. I will say that. Yeah, and and uh, Quinton Joyner, all five foot eleven of him, Chris. Yeah, I mean, but he's got some speed. He uh, he's physically built. Uh, obviously, I saw him in, in San Antonio for the All American Bowl. I, did I think he he's going to tower over you, Chris. That's he did not tower over me. He eleven. No, he did not tower over me. I, I, yeah. When we're talking about heights and weights and inaccuracies, when I saw him at five foot eleven. It was sort of like uh, when I think we had Jason Brown at some point uh, in our database. Five foot ten. No, I think he was at, at one point listed to six foot. I might be wrong about that, but I, oh, no. I, I, I've talked to him before and just didn't realize as I kind of looked down at him in cleats as I interviewed him how diminutive <laughs> he was, and I was like. Man, that brings up a big question of sort of, okay, who's this other running back going to be if they do indeed close the deal with Brian Jackson, who you've seen in person and were actually very impressed. In fact, Chris made a very interesting comment, and if you guys that uh, follow the podcast and have listened regularly recall, he made the comment that Brian Jackson was actually bigger frame-wise than Sam Green, which shocked the hell out of me when I heard that. I said – a six foot, two hundred forty pound running back is bigger than your defensive tackle. That's not a good sign. And uh, again, that was one of those things that sort of went into the whole small ball theory that uh, has been uh, bounced around. No pun intended uh, on the podcast and the message boards here in the last uh, uh, few months. This is probably a mistake as I try to bring us to the break. But Gerard, we've talked about heights and weights and all this stuff. But is there a recruit that you've covered where the height and weight was accurate or maybe even like? undersold for a certain players. Anyone that comes to mind where you just went to see them and you're like, okay, this guy is legit 6'5", 320 or whatever. Chris O'Dowd. Chris O'Dowd, the former center offensive lineman from Arizona. I remember him at the junior day that USC had, and he was there for the craziest, most hype, insane junior day that USC has ever had because it coincided with pro day. And it was Reggie Bush Pro Day. So oh. you had Reggie Bush, every scout and their mama and their agent's mama <laughs> was there at uh, Loker. And Standing room only. You had at uh, across from Heritage Hall, one of the theater facilities they were using for their presentation. And you had Lane Kiffin and Brandon Carroll running back and forth to watch Reggie run the 40 and then go run back over to go talk to the recruits at the recruiting presentation. So you had Chris O'Dowd, you had Mark Tyler, you had a whole bunch of really big time recruits there. And we were there for pro day and I was there just checking out the recruits standing out in front of the auditorium waiting to go in with their parents. And I remember seeing Chris O'Dowd and going, that is a big ass dude. Like he, <laughs> his shoulders, his head, he was just a bigger human than the other linemen with him that were, you know, I guess just more, you know, proportionate. And so he was one of those guys that immediately was like, that dude has got an NFL body. Like that guy is just built different. And um, at the top of my head, that was, yeah, one of the first guys was like, he was listed at like six, five, 300 pounds. And I'm like, he's absolutely six, five, 300 pounds. He carries it well too. Okay. With that little throwback story, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the NFL combine, uh, some random, 
uh, recruiting update notes, and then we're going to talk a little bit about National Composite Two-Star Day, and then we got a listener question. How's that all sound, Gerard? Sounds delightful. All right. Well, we'll be right back after this break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Gerard, how we doing off the break? Delighted. Delighted, he says. Uh, very quickly, Gerard, I'm going to switch up the schedule. I'm just going to do the quick two-hitter notes, and then we'll go into the combine. How does that sound? Yeah, that makes sense. That, that makes sense. That certainly makes sense. Uh, just really quickly, there was a new scholarship offer to Winter Greens, Florida 2025 cornerback Ivan Taylor, who I believe is the number one rated cornerback in the class, and it is – Definitely more significant because he is the son of Ike Taylor, the former uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't believe he was an all-pro, but I believe he won a couple Super Bowls with the Steelers. So definitely has the NFL bloodlines and is a top prospect in that 2025 cycle. And then the other note is that St. John Bosco linebacker Jordan Lockhart decided to decommit from Ole Miss and open back his recruitment up. We've talked about Jordan Lockhart before on this show as someone that USC is recruiting very hard. We would not be shocked if he decided to back off that Ole Miss pledge. And lo and behold, he has backed off that commitment, and he is now a a open prospect on the free agency market of, that is recruiting. And I would go ahead and say maybe USC is his leader at this point. I don't know. That may be a little bit strong, but USC definitely in the mix for him. Yeah, at some point during the season last year, we thought there was potential that Jordan Lockhart could decommit and commit to USC, uh, along with Peyton Woodyard uh, was another guy that uh, St. John Bosco 2024 safety that has committed to Georgia, but another guy is very early in the process, really likes USC. We'll kind of see you know how the defense plays. Um, I think with uh, both of them, it was very early in the process. For commitment so we'll see how that shakes out for the both of them but yeah not much of a surprise with jordan lockhart decommitting not to be confused with brandon lockhart who we talked about earlier in the 2026 class in the podcast. not to be confused absolutely now let's go to the nfl combine which we previewed a little bit uh for our last show uh we talked about jordan addison to two below two makai blackman all those kind of things so now we have some tangible measurables and notes to talk about jordan addison I think ran a little bit slower than I mean, definitely ran slower than I was anticipating. I think he ran a four five five with his first run, got it down to a four four nine 
with his second run. So you know, that's a decent time. I think he's still considered uh, among some as the number one wide receiver in this draft. Two two below two measured in at six foot three, two hundred and sixty six pounds. That answered a lot of questions for people. You know, he's not big enough to be a defensive tackle, so they're looking at him for the edge. Kind of a tweener. That's how Daniel Jeremiah uh, from NFL.com kind of described him. So, But Daniel Jeremiah did move him up into his top 50 prospects. So I think overall, Thule did help himself at the draft. He did not do all the the uh, drills. Uh, he did some of the drills. He didn't do a lot of the, like the 40, the bench. Uh, I don't think he believe, he did any of that. I believe he's saving that for pro day. But overall, I think he really helped his stock uh, after the combine. Makai Blackman really also helped his stock as well. Ran a really, really good 40 time. I blanking off the top. I think it was like a 4.47 or something like that. But ran faster than I anticipated. And I think he definitely helped his stock. And I think he maybe helped himself uh, lock himself in to be drafted for this combine. Uh, the other bad news is, or I guess the, the downside of that is a lot of quarterbacks ran really fast at this combine, but still it's better. It's, it's better to have a good 40 time than a not good 40 time. Uh, but then the other kind of defining moment for USC and their participants was Andrew Voorhees suffering an unfortunate injury in the middle of on-field drills, suffering that an ACL tear in the middle and, but still went out same day, cranked out 38 bench press reps, which I know we talked about as bench press, bench press, isn't a great, uh, signifier for NFL success, but to still go out there and lead the entire combine after tearing your ACL, um, I think that says a lot, and I think I think that showed uh, teams a lot. You know, just to have that kind of mentality to still go out and do that. So, Gerard, you can kind of touch on whatever you want, but a lot a lot of storylines for for USC's uh, NFL combine representation. We talked about. Jordan Addison and sort of being at the top of the board maybe in the first round. And I think his 40 is very much what I thought it was. It's funny because I did take a little flack for how I talked about Jordan Addison when he transferred into USC and how big it was and, you know, how significant he would be within the offense as a Blitnikoff winner for USC, just in terms of impact. And, I kind of was like, yeah, you know, it's a good get. I, I think that, you know, he does some things that some of the receivers that they have on the roster can do. Um, and then watching him during the season, I, I think I was more impressed with him than initially. Uh, I, I think he sort of athletically was a little closer to Robert Woods and Marquise Lee than I thought. But when I listen and I read the NFL's take on his performance and, and watching his film, it sort of it sounds exactly like what I was saying about him when he was leaving Pittsburgh going to USC. And so what I actually think is I think he'll still sneak into the first round. USC's really crossing their fingers that he does because, like I said before, that will be used negatively against them on the recruiting trail if he drops into the second round. Former Bolitnikoff winner goes to USC, doesn't win the Bolitnikoff, and slips into the second round. It's just not going to be good optics, and regardless, it will be used against him. So you want him, for sure, to go into the first round, and I think he still will. I think that the undersell for him is just you know watching him on film, and he's a little bit deceptive on film. I think you got to kind of talk to him. He's not a big guy, and you could see in person more initially you would go, 
okay, yeah, all right, you know, you, you know, run game, you know, is this guy going to be able to block it? His disposition is impressive. I think Jordan Addison is very much a professional. Jordan Addison's been through some things. You kind of get the sense, like, he's there for business and he's serious and he's not going to be distracted by much. And I think if you're an NFL team and, and interviews do definitely move the needle for these franchises, I think you feel very comfortable about his disposition and sort of, you know, when you bring him into the locker room and you bring him into training camp, what you're going to get out of him and you're going to get a lot of work from him. You know, he's not a kid. That's just a kid. I mean, he, I think he's a, he's a very mature and he gives that sense off. So I do think that will really helps him behind the scenes. And that's something that you don't necessarily see on film. And I think again, even what you see on film, there's athletically some deception there. And, and he ran about what I thought he would run. I thought he would run high four fours. Um, it was probably right up his alley. Um, you know, we didn't get to see uh, uh, some other things from him. Um, I think, though, he did enough. And uh, after that initial 40, I think that, you know, he'll probably run better in his pro day. And um, I think that he'll he'll lock himself into that, that first round. Um, the guy that I felt like was playing himself into the first round during the season, and I joked last week that was sort of a homer, um, you know, sort of comment and, and not really – having a good sense for, you know, what else is out there, you know, um, having not seen a lot of a guy like Tyree Wilson at Texas tech, you know, there's always guys that come out of the woodwork from all kinds mm-hmm. of schools. Um, and, you know, I think the thing about Tuli Tui Pelotu is that the NFL is going to look at him a lot like college football looked at him. You know, they, they're going to look at him and they're going to go, okay, you know, well, how athletic is he really? How big is he really? And maybe underappreciate the production and the contribution. Because out of high school, you watch them on film and you're like, this dude gets it done. He's a good player. He's very quick. He's very instinctive. He just makes a ton of plays. And the reason I really couldn't pound the table for him more coming out of high school was because at the Polynesian Bowl, he just didn't do anything. It was like one of those <laughs> Situations where he's finally against other divisions and competition. But no one does anything at the Polynesian Bowl. And that's very true. And that's very true. But in the game, he didn't really do very much. And it, it just was one of those things where it just there was no more sort of ammo that I could use to say, oh, man, you know, I think he's really underrated. I kind of think that's where he is a little bit with the NFL. However, 266 pounds, 6'3". Now you're in the echelon of um, – players that are going to be true outside linebacker edge rusher types. And that means you're going to have to run four or five. You're going to have to show elite athleticism to be considered a first round pick. You are not in any way, shape, form, or fashion going to be able to sell yourself as a first round pick. uh, If you're not running in that, you know, that mid four or five, at the very least high four or five range at, uh, at that height. Arm length, 32 inches, that's pretty – you're really looking for more like 34 inches. I think Tyree Wilson is somewhere in the 35 range. Um, this day and age, if you're going to be an edge guy, which he – like you and I said, I think he did trim down for this. Someone said, hey, man – that's going to be where you're going to be. And I don't know who gave him that advice, but 
they convinced him he's going to be an edge guy. And so he wanted to look more like an edge guy. And unfortunately, he does not have the arm length for it. And he just doesn't have the frame for it. I, I think he did himself a disservice. I think he needed to be 290 and 6'3 and show his quickness and his instinct and his ability to be able to play more inside. Um, so, yeah, we're going to see where that goes. It's not going to be the first round, um, not with the other guys on the board uh, at those edge positions. He's um, at the very most going to be more like a five technique if he's going to be an edge guy and you'll have to you know get back up to like you know 275, 280. Uh, for most defenses, if you're going to be playing, uh, I mean, at this day and age at that point. Uh, but again, you know, playing on the outside, they like the longer guys. And so just from a spec standpoint, uh, I could see the NFL being a bit uh, a bit bearish on, um, you know, being able to, uh, I don't know if I'm using that word correctly. I, I always get confused bearish and bullish because I don't really do a whole lot with stocks, but uh, they're going to be hesitant to put him on the edge um, at, at that at that height and, and with those arm lengths. You know, I think, um uh, I don't have it in front of me, the the, the arm link with, with every one of those players. But, again, 32 inches is is definitely on the shorter side, from what I recall, for, for most combines, uh, when you're talking about those sort of edge rusher, um, outside type guys uh, on the defensive line. Most of the time, you're going to see those guys in that, in that probably that 34 range. 35, you're starting to get more elite. And, you know, I know uh, just looking at some of the guys watching the combine, seeing some of those guys for the first time, guy like Tyree Wilson jumped out at me immediately. Like that's the kind of guy that the USC, uh, the NFL is salivating over. That's the kind of guy that they want to put on the outside. Um, and you, you, you had a, a few of those type of players there and truly just not that guy. Uh, bullish is optimistic. Bearish is pessimistic. Okay. So I used it right. There you go. There you go. Any thoughts on Andrew Voorhees? Just a terrible, obviously, thing to happen. But yeah, very, very unfortunate. Um, I think uh, you know he's one of those guys that for sure is is an NFL talent and um, has the body. That's another guy. You know, talking about um, the Chris O'Dowd, Andrew Voorhees, what kind of immediately gave me that sort of comparison um, out of the gates because I know that uh, you know USC had sort of. Um, how do I put this? They recruited Wyatt Davis out of St. John Bosco, but we're not super, super overhead over heels with him, which I remember, you know, telling this to Greg Biggins and he didn't believe me. I said, listen, man, I can only tell you what I've heard. USC thinks Wyatt Davis is a good player. They don't think he's a five-star. And I remember them being super hyped up about Andrew Voorhees. And Andrew Voorhees was a three-star, you know, out of, you know, Northern California, and we didn't really know a lot about him. So we went up to the Stanford uh, Nike camp and uh, remember seeing Andrew Voorhees for the first time. And, and he walked up and Greg grabbed him for the interview. And I was like, this dude's huge. This dude's a big <laughs> ass guy. Like he is he's just one of those guys that just built a little differently, you know, just bigger, short, just proportionately. He is a big guy. You see guys that are 6'5 and 300 pounds all the time. And they just, they're just not that big physically. And so that was my, you know, my first initial reaction looking at Andrew Voorhees and going, he's got an NFL body. He's got that NFL frame. He's just a big guy. So I think he'll, he'll catch on somewhere. Obviously this is a, a big setback and it's going to be, you know, one of those things where you're already playing interior line and those guys are, uh, the NFL looks at them as, as kind of a dime a, a dime a dozen until, you know, free agency comes up and they realize, Oh crap, you know, we don't, we don't have any good, 
uh, experienced uh, interior linemen, um, kind of you know, like the running back positions. Like you know, they 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 put off going after and spending you know money on on certain positions, and then you know until you really need that position. But um, yeah, I, I think uh, he'll he should be able to catch on somewhere. I think he has definitely that talent. You know, is, is he going to get drafted now? I don't know. You know, it's it's hard to to, to know at that point. Um, you know how teams see the injury and and how big of a setback it is. Uh, obviously, you know ACLs are 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 not that big a deal anymore, and they're not like they were you know 15, 20 years ago. Uh, but nevertheless, you know it's just another sort of um, thing that uh, you know when you when you're when you're there, you're looking at your board. It's it's just you know you're trying to have pros and cons for each player, and that's just another con. So unfortunate. Uh, Makai Blackman, we didn't talk about him. I thought that was a good time for him. You know, I think he's at the back end of the draft. Uh, but I think potentially could get drafted. I mean, he's a guy that I think played much better. Uh, I think the NFL does have a good scouting report on him. He's too handsy at times, and he does do some things that, you know, I think he he, he doesn't need to do, you know, trying to play physically, but just being too, too grabby, you know, in certain points, uh, especially at the high route or, or the high points of, 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 of the route. Um, he's in good position, and he, and he still grabs when he doesn't need to. But he is a guy that, you know, ran a decent time, has good, good length to him and has really good ball skills. I mean, that's the thing when you put on the film, uh, that interception that he made, I think it was against Oregon State was one of the best catches of the year, regardless of whether it was an offensive player or defensive player for USC. It was phenomenal. Uh, that's stuff you can't teach. And so having good awareness like that, I, I, you just got to get the bad habits that he's had. Um, with, with, with grabbing and, and, and not trusting his athleticism as much, you know, he has it, you know, he ran four, four, nine, that's a pretty good time. Um, I think that was his time. Wasn't it four, four, nine? I believe he ran four, four, nine. It was a high four, four, if I recall. Yeah, I think it was a high four, four. I think it was four, seven. I think that four, seven, four, 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 four seven. Four, 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 seven. Sorry. Four, four, seven. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. He, he I, I remember seeing it and going, okay, that's a, that's a good time for him. It's not Christian Gonzalez, you know, and, and I, I, I said it then when, you know, Christian Gonzalez was coming out of Colorado and USC was recruiting Makai Blackman. I'm like, Christian Gonzalez is the guy that you want out of two. Christian Gonzalez is certainly, um, I mean, he's got the physicality. He's the size of a safety, but he's got the athleticism, you know, to play corner. Um, he, he's, he's the better out of the two. But I, I think Makai Blackman definitely played really well uh, this season and, and potentially played himself into being a draft pick. And I think that'll wrap up our NFL Combine talks as we move into the final uh, stretch of this show. As I mentioned several times, it is National Composite Two-Star Day. Marks one year anniversary of the first episode that we published for the Composite Two-Star Recruits. Gerard, what episode do you think this will be? Uh, this will be episode 22. You actually think it's 22? I don't know. It's 45. Okay, there you go. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> Time flies when we're having fun, I did market on the peristyle and people did uh, want to share some comments uh, that I'll read right here as we reflect Uh-oh. on. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. They're all good. I don't know. Uh, Bay Area Trojan one. Thank you for your pod. Lots of great info. Conquest six. I always listen to two star during workouts or drives to work. Can't believe it's already been a year listening. My favorite podcast because I love nerding out about the future stands out of USC football. Thanks, Chris and Gerard, for creating this masterpiece. Hashtag cilantro boys for life. Uh, Bogle Dog 1. Nice. Hard to believe one year. By the way, 
cilantro slackers, you can't pump out a measly three-hour pod after spending all day at practice and doing ghost notes. Geez, 18K creating the content the P can't live without. Good job, man. Uh, LVD816 says, the podcast is great on long drives. It's the one podcast in my regular rotation where longer is better. I usually listen to them twice as well. Thanks for all the hard work. Uh, I jokingly told them they could have the day off from work because of it's a national holiday. Uh, Chris, we don't need your permission to take off work. None of us get anything done when you guys release a new episode anyway. Do you really think it's a coincidence that the economy has tanked since the podcast started? That's from JRUSC. Uh, Now that he mentions it, you know, I think maybe there is some correlation a Courtman 17 says, I listen while walking my dogs. I bet if I started playing the pod in the house, they would go stand by the door or wait by the door. That'd be weird if they stood. They stood. Uh, G. Flores Jr. says, always listen in the car. Makes my drive a lot easier. Uh, Gab USC, uh, congrats. Looking forward to three, three star, four star. And then the Holy Grail of reports, the five star. Uh, a lot of congrats. Uh Andrew 91, Andrew A91, Chris and GM, how does it feel knowing that you have created a podcast that people's weeks are literally centered around? Gerard, how do you feel about that? I feel like the only inflation that we are responsible for <laughs> is the inflation of Chris's ego. That's it. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Just J88 says, the only podcast I listen to, uh, DRB1981SC. I always listen to this podcast, even though I'm not gigantically into recruiting. I get a lot of general football insight from the pod about Chris and Gerard's views on what the team needs, where the team is strong, possibly schematic or personnel changes in light of the move to the Big Ten. Thanks for enter- thanks for the entertaining pod. Love the show, Eddie from Orange, our favorite. Uh, love the show. Can't believe it's already been a year. My only wish is that it was five hours long weekly. Uh, easy Trojan. Thank you and GM for the great info you guys bring. I'm sure it's hard some weeks when there's not a lot of content to do to do one, but I, for one, love listening to the pod while running or walking my dog. Uh, we got a hat tip, a hat tip, uh, Jeff from six, six, one, nine grizzly, uh, 34 jump cut says college football recruiting is a fascinating part of college football. And your podcast is the best of the best. The long length is great because it's filled with details and stories that only guys like hurricane and 18 K are privy to fight on. Uh, thank you so much for all the people that left comments for happy for National Two Star Day. Uh, Gerard, I made this podcast not knowing it would go on this long, but here we are. And I'm looking forward to another year and season two, which uh, we're still in season one. Yeah, that's um, confusing, but <laughs> I didn't know that uh, we started the podcast in early March. It felt like we started it sometime in April or May. So, yeah, that's a, a little confusing, but we're trying to go by the recruiting calendar. Like, if yeah. we're going to have seasons, the recruiting calendar technically these days is basically starts in April for teams. That's how their official visits are allotted to them. So you get, you know, your 55 official visits, or it was 55. I don't know if that's changed here with NIL and Transfer Portal, et cetera. Uh, but it was like you have a certain amount of official visits that you get, and the calendar year – is uh it starts in april so that's the thing you know you have um a bunch of guys coming during the summer you guys coming during the season and uh, obviously after the season you're going to have that couple weeks and you have to save some 
because you're not going to get a new allotted amount until April. So that's why I said season one should not end until April. I'm feeling like, you know, maybe the holy hour, maybe the April 8th. Mm. That's like the deadline for us. I mean, that's the finale. April 15th, I believe, is the start of May evaluations. So it could also be that uh, I the new porthole or new porthole, <laughs> the, the the next porthole, the second porthole for this cycle uh, starts in May 1st. So uh, last year, May 1st, I think, was like the deadline um, before you had to announce that you were going to enter the porthole. And this year, May 1st is the date for basically having to announce that you're going to enter the porthole and you get that 15 days. So yeah, a lot of confusion. And hopefully, you know, when we get uh, towards the end of the cycle, we get it April, we're going to put our foot there. We're going to put a line in the sand. We're going to say, all right, <laughs> this is going to be the end. This is the season. And then we're going to go into season two and we're looking forward uh, to uh, the next season of the two star composite podcast, which is tongue in cheek for those who don't really realize that yes it is a convoluted name but it was among it's but it's our names. convoluted name is what i'm saying yeah. we i don't know have we ever shared like the other i don't know if we have that list still like i sent you like oh I'm, I'm sure we still have it random stuff you all your names that you thought for a podcast you hated all, all. what you hated them all well it, they all sort of implied bagman or like yeah I, I have i have i have the list should i read it out Breaking recruiting rules was for most of your suggestions, but I was like, I don't think we really want to like imply that we're part of the process that way. Like the Godfather bot or the the what was it the the, the step, uh no the the God Uncle podcast or whatever. And it the was God like, God Uncle podcast. I have the list that I sent you, and then you gave reactions to all of them, and I'm going to read those, uh, and then okay. I and then I have yours. Okay. Um, I have okay. okay. Here's the list. It's like seven. I have. Uh, Bagman, a recruiting podcast with Christian Gerard, uh, The War Room, uh, Official Visitors, The Commits, uh, Blue Chips, Sources Say, The Big Board, and What Are You Hearing? And here is Gerard's verbatim reactions or, or like one-line comments to all these. Bagman, he just said no. Uh, the War Room, no, but warmer. Official Visitors, hmm, dot, dot, dot. The Commits, warmer. It would be more like the commitment podcast. It takes time to talk recruiting, which is a great it, – it, that's almost like the unofficial slogan of this uh, podcast. It takes time to talk recruiting. Uh, Blue Chips, you just wrote confused. Sources say, I feel it's taken. Uh, the big board, meh. What are you hearing? Vague. And then his uh, suggestions were AGTG podcast. <laughs> That's all glory to God that you see hashtag on a lot of <laughs> okay. to make it scholarship offers. Uh, top 16 podcasts, which I found funny. Uh, high interest podcasts or medium interest podcasts. Heavy favorites podcasts. Late offer podcasts. I actually kind of like that one looking back on it. Uh, Cardinal and Gold podcast also says. No, 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 no. See, that, see, that's the thing. It's not Cardinal Gold. It's actually Christian Gerard. Christian Gerard, yeah. And then you, Two Stars podcast. Yeah, see, Chris and I, is, uh, you see the cynicism with the amount of experience that I have covering the recruiting process. All of my stuff is like making memes out of stuff that you see on Twitter with recruiting, basically, this is what all of my suggestions were. 
So you actually planted the seed for what this would become in terms of the two-star podcast. I still like Bagman. I still think Bagman would have been a hilarious name. I do know that it would have been inappropriate. We could not have done it. But I still think it could have been a viable uh, podcast name. But, yeah, that, that's a fun had one in there like white envelopes or something, too. I did not have that. McDonald's bags, you mean? <laughs> something of that nature I thought was a suggestion that came up as well, which I thought was funny. But, again, like – we're going to do this weekly and it's going <laughs> to, I mean, again, well, I guess it could be intriguing. Like technically, if you heard that and you were recruiting, you'd be like, Oh wait, are they going to like have, you know, boosters from like NIL outfits, you know, on the podcast each week or something like that. They're going to dive into the seedy underbelly of recruiting, which you don't want to get anywhere near that. Um, if you listen to this, tell us what you, your favorite uh, non-podcast name that never saw to light. But I thought that was fun to be able to share uh, the what could have been in terms of the name of this podcast one year later. So, yeah. And credit to Gerard. He's the one who uh, uh, sparked that uh, two-star two star name. So credit to Hurricane. Uh, I think that deserves a, uh, a, a little... Uh, Well, it works on two levels. It works on two levels, right? It's like two stars, which is kind of uh, deprecating humor. And yeah. then it's also like individual or a star. Yeah. And come together. So, All my steez, yeah. baby. Yeah. yeah. Composite was thrown in there, too, just to make it even more like memeish, I think. Memeish <laughs> as well. Um, so, yeah. So thank you to everyone who has been listening to this podcast, especially thank you to the people who uh listen to the first podcast and have stuck with us through for this entire year. I'm excited for next year and season two. I want to get our own little logo for when you listen to it on your mobile. I don't want to use the Paracel podcast. I want to get one of those. I want to have a little bit of an intro. I have some merch I'm working. I'm designing it myself. So it's taking a little bit more time. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited. I, created the next logo. Hey, hey, I got a logo. I created a logo. I sent to you and you like, your high school or Pop Warner picture better, and you tended to put that out because again, it was more memeish, and I agree with it. I love, I love a good meme, Gerard. I love a good meme. Uh, let's move on to listener questions as we wrap up the show. We only got one, uh, and again, if you want to send us question, <laughs> question listener question. Uh, if you have a recruiting question, email us at podcast at uscpo.com. Just make sure you put the comp the composite recruiting podcast cilantro boys. Uh, Bagmen, if you wish, just just do that and it'll get to my inbox and then I can put it on the show. Fellas, question about under the radar recruits. Christian Clark, 2024 running back from Arizona, has offers from Alabama, USC, Texas, and Oregon to name a few schools. That would lead me to believe he is at least worthy of three stars, but he is in, but he is currently unranked. I see this this uh, email is a little bit out of date because he actually is ranked now. Uh, but I think the question still stands because he did have a bunch of offers and still wasn't ranked for, for a good minute. Uh, thus, my question is, how does 24-7 sports mechanism for identifying and ranking talent differ from recruiting departments of all these big-time schools? Best, best, Keith W. from the 707. Well, these schools, as we kind of talked about in the podcast, are not necessarily ranking these kids right now. A scholarship offer is a scholarship offer. You know, you can call a kid and you can have 20 running backs that all have scholarship offers and none of them committed. Uh, you could have one commit. It doesn't mean a whole lot. So 
yeah, there's a lot of schools all over the country that are going to offer prospects that they may not even recruit. Alabama, you look at the amount of scholarship offers that they've given. You look at the amount of scholarship offers that Georgia has given. And these are schools that, you know, a lot of kids would want to commit to, but they're not committable offers. So from the standpoint of scholarship offers versus an actual ranking, a ranking is you think that this player is better than another player. And all those players have scholarship offers. So it's a little bit more of what schools start to do as they get later in the process. You get May evaluations done. You've seen these kids in person. And then all those scholarship offers that you have on the board, then they start to get basically correlated and organized into a, okay, this is what the food chain looks like, right? These are the big dogs. These are the guys at the top. These are the guys that we think are impact players. This is plan A. And then you start to work through plan A and you look at what's the the, the possible plan A. You know, the, the, the plan A is sort of the wish list. And then it's sort of, okay, this is the working list of guys that we at least fit, feel like we've got our foot in the door with, we can get a visit from. So they become more realistic. And then you start to miss out on guys. And then it starts to shift into plan A to plan B and then so on and so forth. So it's it's a big difference between the perspective of the, the, the schools that are going through their board and giving out offers and then starting to organize those, those offers into the guys we want more than other guys as opposed to, okay, he's a three-star, he's a four-star, et cetera. He's not rated yet. I mean, a lot of times it's, going to be scholarship offers that may put certain players on the board that there just hasn't been um, film review of by the recruiting experts. You know, you only have, you know, for, for, for 24 seven, you know, sports, you have only got maybe, I don't know, 10 recruiting experts. I mean, you've got the actual writers, the, the, the guys like Blair and Gulo, uh, Greg Biggins. And then you've got that set of guys that are actually doing the evaluations as well that are just evaluation guys that write it up like Gabe Brooks. Uh, I think Chris Singleton is another guy that we have for 24 seven sports. Those guys aren't doing interviews, but those guys are evaluating film and what have you. And then you've got the other publications, which there's only really two, three other publications out there as opposed to the 117 schools that are looking at film every day, their coaching staffs, their assistant staffs. And again, because scholarship offers don't mean anything, you know, all those schools that can just give out scholarship offers. So, all of a sudden you start to see those scholarship offers collect on a specific player, then that's going to draw some uh, amount of attention to that player. And it's like, okay, so we got to build review this film and we got to see, you know, is this, is this player the real deal? Is he a guy that's, you know, worth four stars, three stars. I mean, you can look at Christian Clark's scholarship offers and say, Oh, he should be a four star. How can all these schools like Alabama and Oregon and Texas and USC offer this young man and he only be a three-star again scholarship offers just don't mean anything anymore scholarship offers are hey we liked your film we'd like you to come see us so we could see you in person and then just from seeing them in person schools start to kind of get a feel for okay physically this is how he looks they'll measure them they'll get their height and weight they'll get their arm length their hand size they'll do some things in some of these visits it used to be back in the day where you get more kids on camps and so you know, again, it's just used as sort of uh, not even flowers on the first day anymore. It's just, hey, you know, like your film, you're a scholarship offer. Now you have this good feeling, this this good vibe. And if we go through the process further, 
and we see, yeah, this is a guy we really want. Like it's it's more than just the film. We've seen him practice. You know, maybe we 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 got to see him during May evaluations run track, so on and so forth. You get a better idea of where that player actually fits in the grand scheme of things for you. But you know, right now for schools, you know, is is Christian Clark a three star or four star for Alabama? Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know if that they have a, a a real sense for that. I don't know that USC has a real sense for that. Um, that's going to happen here as we get, you know, going here on, on May evaluations and and we start to see some of these guys in person. And and that's true of 24-7 sports as well. You know, it's going to be one of those things where there's guys that may not have a lot of scholarship offers, but they're out of seven on or something like that, and they get rated that way. They get rated more organically through being able to see them play. But, again, those opportunities are few and far between. Uh, less kids are going to camps. Less kids are doing big events. Um, I think the downside of NIL is all these kids think they're good. They're, they're you know, just a, a few conversations away from being millionaires and they don't want to mess that up. They look at their, their scholarship list and they think, Oh man, look at all these opportunities I have. One of these schools is going to have like a six digit offer for me for sure. So why do I want to go to the opening? Why do I want to go to a passing league? Why do I want to go to a camp where I could potentially get exploited and shown out that I'm not the player that all these offers say I am. And so you're seeing a lot of guys stay at home now and you're not seeing them at Under Armour camps and some of these other camps. So that's, you know, partially the initial downside of the NIL. I think eventually, you know, kids are going to start to realize like, yo, that's not going to happen. Like you got to go out there and earn uh, those types of, of endorsement deals. And, you know, there's only going to be so many of those deals that go out there for guys that are at the high school level. You're going to have to go and enroll in college and actually prove yourself at the college level to get the real money. Gerard, I know we said we had one listener question, but I'm actually adding a question, not really a question, but I just actually want you to react to this because this was something that Josh Henson said yesterday in discussing the recruitment of the recruitment process of Elijah Page. So you've been around recruiting a long time. I just want to get your thoughts on this sort of move that Henson did. Uh, Antonio Morales uh, tweeted it out, who works for The Athletic, uh, when he was asked uh, Henson was asked about the recruiting process of Elijah Page, the one-time Notre Dame commit. Henson said, silence. Henson gave it a couple months and called Page one night while Page was in a Chick-fil-A, and they talked for 20 minutes. After that, Henson was like, Henson said, I was like, okay, we've got a shot. So in a day and age when so many people, recruiters, kids, you know, crave attention, 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 what do you think about this? move where Henson did the opposite and gave silence in the process. Yeah, it's it's a case-by-case basis in, in knowing the player on an individual level as a person and what they're trying to get out of the process. Because, yeah, in certain situations, a kid makes a commitment and they made that decision, they want to shut down the process. And so if you're continuing to call him and, and trying to still persuade him away from the decision he's made, you might annoy him. You know, you might actually get under his skin and it's like, wait, we're trying to show you that we're relentless and how much we really want you. And all it does is just get under his skin and annoy him. And it's like, listen, I made my decision. I'm sorry, coach. And so it has to be sort of that last conversation you have with him before he makes a commitment or makes a decision 
to get the feel for sort of where he is mentally with the recruiting process. I think, you know, was it Josh Henson just out of the blue deciding to give him a call or was did somebody, you know, kind of tip him off like, hey, he's kind of has been reservations about going to Notre Dame, playing away from home, um, the way the season started for Notre Dame. I think there could have been potentially maybe a conversation that happened with the high school coach or maybe somebody else um, that was a, a mutual, um, let's say, someone that that had talked to Eliza Page and maybe also knows Coach Henson. And, you know, there may have been like a heads up that, that you know, prompted him to call. Or, I mean, again, it, it just might have been like, hey, there's a lot of turmoil going on with Notre Dame right now, and uh, they're not looking so hot. And we feel pretty good about how we're going to start the season, how we're going to play. And that's, you know, sort of what, hey, kick the tires again and kind of see what's going on. So, yeah, I mean, there, there are those players where you want to stay on them and say, hey, listen, uh, I understand your decision. I feel like you're a better fit for us. And I feel like I got to continue to show you that. And if the phone continues to be answered on the other line, then you know that that kid is still thinking about, you know, your program and thinking about the relationship that you have. So it, it is very much a case by case basis. And it depends on the personality and this disposition of that player. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely, it was the right move, you know, ultimately, I mean, the results show that it was the right move, uh, but I could see in other situations, uh, you know, maybe you, you'd want to kind of stay uh, close to the, to, 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 to what's going on and, and stay in contact with that particular player because you know maybe he's going to be taking phone calls from other schools and it might be entertaining interest from other schools and that silence that time that you had outside you know you know two months or whatever uh from the process uh, you know somebody else got their foot in the door and were able to kind of figure out you know what this kid really wanted out of a college choice the neil calloway approach if you will that that was the interesting thing (laughs) that we learned which was just like i don't know a bit of a head shaker um with uh, Sean Ryan, you know, being recruited by Neil Calloway and liking Neil Calloway because Neil Calloway didn't bug him all the time about recruiting, knowing that Neil Calloway didn't bug him all the time because Neil Calloway didn't really want to recruit and call kids every day. And so it was taken as, yeah, he respects my time and he's really cool because he's not hounding me about USC. But in reality, it was probably more laziness than it was anything. And then you got Tim Drevno that comes in and is like, oh, my gosh, we got to get Sean Ryan and starts calling him and starts actually recruiting him. And Sean Ryan didn't really like that. Yeah. So funny how recruiting works sometimes. So, yeah, great move by Josh Henson. And as you said, the results speak for themselves and how that one played out. Gerard, that's all I've got for you. I think this was a pretty fun show. It was a fun show. And uh, it was uh, a year in the making <laughs> a year in the making absolutely right uh so i'm glad we were able I, i'm glad it lined up because usc had practice on wednesday and it forced us to do our show today which is the one year anniversary so it all works out gerard that's what i'm saying it, it all came together it was in the stars it was in the stars the two stars if you will and with that i'm not going to have a better outro than that was the I, best segue of <laughs> the best segue of the year for this podcast So we will see ourselves out on that note. I am Chris. That is Gerard. This has been Composite Two-Star Recruits, and we will catch you next time. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. 
a new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.